Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high-quality and tori-tainment for you. The world has changed. I feel it in the water. water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for now none live who remember the nineties. It began with the forging of the great earthquakes. Four were given to Eric Ross. Immortal, wisest, and fairest of all beings. Two, to Ian Stanley. Great miner and craftsman of the new wave scene. And six. Six tracks were gifted to David Sigerson, who above all else desired chart success. For within these tracks was bound the strength and will to govern all gays. But they were all of them deceived, for another disc was made in a land of Tordor, in the fires of Mount Pele. The Dark Lord Amos forged in secret a master disc to control all others. And into this disc she poured her cruelty, her malice, and her will to dominate all all men. One disc to rule them all. Dilbo, you were having a terrible dream. Oh my god, I was. I was dreaming that I was stuck listening to the same album for two and a half years. Oh, that's horrible. It was terrible, but also amazing. Was it a good album? Oh my god, it was the best. Oh. I don't want to alarm you, Dilbo. I had the same dream. Oh my god, Samwise Ganjeef. The same dream? The same dream. Did you see a pharaoh with an afro? I sure did. Were there a bunch of black dykes playing brass instruments? Well, I think so, but that's debatable. Was there a building tumbling? No, there wasn't. Don't answer, don't answer. I know, I was there. I saw a building tumbling, actually. If you looked closely, you could see a bunch of buildings tumbling down, Dilbo. I don't know how I could have possibly looked more closely. Anyway, that's all in the past. Mm. It's time to move forward, Dilbo, to the future. I'm here with you, Samwise Ganjeev, ready for a new adventure. I think I've done adventuring for a while, to be perfectly honest. You're done? Yeah, I think I just want to take it easy for a little while. Soak up the sun, the January sun. Yeah, lovely. I've never seen a bluer sky. Or a blower himmel. 
What's that over there? What? You see that woman with the tree stump between her legs? I do. God, what is she doing? It's not even 10 a.m. Calm down. Don't worry about her. She does that all the time. But that's not what I'm talking about. You see on the tree stump that flyer? I do. What is that? That what? wasn't there last night. It looks like someone lost something. Okay, let's go look. All right. Oh, interesting. Woman loses spark. Are you sure where my spark is? Last seen at 658. Hmm. If found, please return to owner. And she put a picture of herself on the flyer. Wait, do you recognize her? She has glitter makeup around her eyes now, but I know her anywhere. Wait a second. This is going to sound like a weird question, but was there a redheaded woman in your dream? I don't think she was a natural redhead, but yeah, she was a redhead. Was she wearing a frock with one breast exposed, suckling a piglet? Yes, there was some dangling pig, uh-huh. Huh. Samwise Ganjeef, you dreamt about the same woman that I did. Was she looking for her fire? Forever. Oh my God, for two years. And we yes. helped her. We, she, she found her fire. She reclaimed her fire. Well, that's right. You were there too. Yeah. It's all coming back to me now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes. We helped her reclaim her fire. Yes. Found her fire. Ugh. And now, what's this? Where is her spark? After all that, after she just th- dropped it and wandered off, I guess. You know, Dilbo, after you went to bed last night at a sensible 9.30 p.m., me and the girls hopped over to the Black Dove, and we heard a story about this woman. Wait, I heard that story too, but I didn't think it was true. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid who's going with a girl who saw this woman drop her spark outside of 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Oh my god. Well, I heard this woman heard a siren, dropped her spark, and took off. What was she so guilty about? Well, the woman at the Abbey said she was wanted in 50 states for indecent exposure, arson, and performing a cornflake girl dance without a license. Well, who among us hasn't? I think if we put our heads together, Dilbo, we'll figure out where her spark is. I think you're right, Samwise Ganjeef. Should we check in the last place we remember seeing it? The basement of the Alamo restaurant? Exactly. That's the last time I remember seeing her fire. Me too. Well, let's head over. All right. What a journey. Oh my gosh. Do you see what I see? I can't believe it. I cannot believe she left that here. All right, should we put it in something? Do you have a jar? I have my stay over bag, but I really, I don't want to ruin that. Well, fine. This is heavy. Should we do count of three? One, two. God. I'm already exhausted. Imagine leaving that somewhere. Careless. Look, I can't. Well, we have to get this back to her. Do we, though? I mean, we spent so long helping her find her fire. I don't know if I have it in me, but you know what? You're right. We did vow to follow her wherever she went, and if she continued to jump off cliffs, we would do it, too. It's our duty, Dilbo. Our duty. All right. I'll do it if you'll do it. (sighs) Samwise Ganji. I mean, I really had, I really just wanted a day. Uh, Fine. Fine. All right, but this time she better hang on to it because I'm not going to find it again. No, No. I'm not doing it. Let's go. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Do we need a map? We've traveled a lot. I think we'll be fine. We know this area. Not our first trip through the land of Tordor by any means. Let's go. Can we stop back at my house, though? I want to get some snacks. All right, I could go for a snack, too. And a drink.
I wanted to take the bloodline further from the keyboard, from the piano to the synth world. And these songs really demanded it because um, there's an ancientness I felt about them, but they're extremely here now and in their go-go boots. You know, they're very, they're very much about um, um, using any aspect in the studio. Obviously, we have loads of gear. We spend all the royalty checks on shoes and gear. I just think it's so fantastic that I walk into uh, the studio in Cornwall. There are computers everywhere. There are eight computers in that house. Just everywhere. Everybody has their own. It's like, no, this, this is mine. Well, this one's mine. And I go, okay. I just bring them tea, stand over their shoulder. I find it all really fascinating. I'm into that with my, with my keyboards. I have my harpsichords and I have the boozies and and I care for them, and they have a really sweet piano tech, and he brings them blankets, and they get humidifiers, and you know, they're really cared for. So I understand that affection for a non-quote-unquote living being. Ah, it's good to be back on the road. You know, I haven't been traveling like this since 2017. Me either. I mean, two years in the underworld is one thing, but hitting the road, that's a whole other thing. Oh yeah, it's a breath of fresh air after hell. Hey, look at this. Let's stop here. This is the cocaine lip gloss sales stand. I come here every weekend with Paul Royagrin Took. Every weekend she takes me here. I thought you guys were at the Black Dove for a beer bust every weekend, but okay. Well, we stop here first. Okay. We can do two things. <laughs> I can't. Oh, who's this? Oh, that's just the cocaine lip gloss sales stand man. Mm. He's mute, but he owns his own business. Good, good, for, good him. for him. Hi, good to see you again. What's this? He's pulling something out from behind the sales stand. It's a book. What is this, Dilbo? What does it say? Wire Guile Primer? He's scribbling something down on a piece of paper. For your journey. For your journey. How did he know? How does he know we're on a journey? Did we look that haggard already? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Take the book, Dilbo. Let's go. Okay. Did you get your lip gloss? I sure did. I needed a boost. Huh. For our journey. Why don't you crack open that book and see what it says? All right. You want to take turns reading it? This is going to be a long trip, I have a feeling. Well, I mean, I don't know where we're going. I figured we'd just trust our instincts. Eh, it's bound to work one of these times. Okay. I'm going to read from this book while we walk. Okay. Okay. Ooh. This appears to be a book of quotations and mm. information about something. It seems like they're all cold from the golden age of alternative music known as the 1990s. Oh. I've heard of this era and its fans. Mm. Ancient. What must it have been like to be alive back then? Oh, we'll never know. Why don't you go ahead and read the first one? The first page says, You boys are on a magical quest to the Choir Girl Hotel. Your journey will take you through the dark and confusing and sometimes treacherous land of Tordor. But once you've made it to the Papal Bluebeard Scooter Rental Stand, hire a scooter and it's smooth scooting to the Choir Girl Hotel. So we just have to find the Papal Bluebeard Scooter Rental Stand so we can get Tori back her spark. Well, yeah, but scooter rentals and now a hotel stay of some kind. I don't know if I budgeted correctly for this trip. You know, can we get a group on? This book will help you along your journey. At every stop, look to the book for clarification. Ooh. Hmm, intriguing. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I, you know, we went through hell for two years without a map. Good point. Here we have a book. But you know what? If we have the book, maybe we should just mail it to her and she can find it herself. Eh, we're here. We've we're already started, I yeah. guess. Okay. See it through.
Besides, how far can the Pable Bluebeard scooter rental stand be from the cocaine lip gloss sales stand? Famous last words. They can't be that far. Okay. Okay, so read that first part of the book. It says, read before you leave cocaine lip gloss sales stand. I think it puts everything into context. From Billboard on the 29th of March, 1997. I'm already writing the next record. I'm not going to parties where actors scantily clad are going to be. I'm with the storks in the tropics experimenting with a whole new thing. Oh, that's lovely. Sounds mm, lovely. It does. Although parties with actors scantily clad sound lovely too. I mean, I always assume that scantily clad actors inspired under the pink. Are they A-list actors? Mm, B-list actors. Mm, keep going. See? <laughs> I love how she says, I'm not going to parties where actors scantily clad are going to be, as opposed mm. to scantily clad actors. Right. She's already working on her lyricism here. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's just a switch of a word. Right. Changes the meaning of everything. Just turn that phrase on its head. What she really means is, I'm not going to parties where the cast of Party of Five is running around naked. I'm not going to parties scantily clad. <laughs> We're coming up on something here, Dilbo. That was coming up on me. This gorgeous little lake, but it's black. It kind of cold. Ooh. Mm. I'm getting a chill. Did you bring your cardigan like I told you to? No. I told you to dress for any kind of weather. Look good in it. Oh my god. Hey, Rick. The sign reads Monsters on Sunday Lake. Mm. Turn to the book. Okay. From Atlantic Records promo bio. I wasn't going to write this record as soon as I did, but at the end of 1996, I was near the finish of a tour and I was pregnant. I'd known from very early on within a week that I was pregnant, so I lived with the feeling and got attached to the soul that was coming in, and then, in almost three months, I miscarried. It was a great shock to me, because I really thought I was out of the woods and I was really excited to be a mom. I went through a lot of different feelings after the miscarriage. You go through everything possible. You question what's fair. You get angry with the spirit for not wanting to come in. You keep asking why. And then, as I was going through the anger and the sorrow and the why, the song started to come. Before I was even aware, they were coming to me in droves. Looking back, that's the way it's always happened for me in my life. When things get really empty for me, empty in my outer life, in my inner life, the music world, the songs come from across galaxies to find me. It's very interesting because she had just come out of hell and she goes into writing a new record is what it appears to me is going on from this book of all wisdom. Hmm. When I have this distinct recollection from somewhere in me, I don't know where it came from, but I have this distinct memory, if you will, that she was going to take some time off. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? I do. I think you're tapping into some kind of ancient bloodline of wisdom. Yeah, it's just running through. I, in the land of Tordor, things just come out of my mouth, I do, and they make no sense with our constructed narrative. I seem to recall that she wasn't sure where inspiration was going to come from next, and she was actually considering doing a lot of research into vampires, yeah. traveling to Romania, Mm -hmm. That was going to somehow inform her next work, but... She was going to go to Romania, that she'd already booked her flight or something. She'd booked her trip. She was gonna, her next record was going to be about vampires mm. and bloodlust. Do you remember on the Dew Drop In tour when she went to Hawaii? Yes. At some point, she took a week off during the tour, and she went to Hawaii, and then she came back. And that very first sound check after that... She sound-checked Cruel and IIE. So she'd written these at least two songs while she was on this vacation, mm. you know, so all of these things were kind of coming to her. And I think that those are maybe the purest, closest thing to this Romanian vampire record that she was interested in making. Well, but I think that also speaks to how kind of the humidity and the heat Oof. of the tropics mm. were inspiring the rhythm and where she was going next, even at that point before certain events in her life, that was already where she was kind of going musically. Yeah. So I really do like how, as we see later through her career, 
that she loves to travel and it traveling sort of inspires mm. um, like for example scarlet's walk was written throughout it's like a travelogue but also you know native invader was written after a trip to the rockies Right? Yeah, I think that's one of the tools in her toolbox when she's a little short on inspiration. Like she books a trip. Somewhere, yeah. As a lot of artists do, I think you got to get out of your rut, out of your regular routine. Mm-hmm. So she booked, yeah, that trip to the Smoky Mountains. When you put it that way, oh, was it the Smokies, not the Rockies? It was the Smokies. Oh, Smokies, Rockies. But when you put it that way, Dilbo, I'm glad to be on this new adventure through Torador with you. I was in a rut. Me too. I I'm needed some for inspiration. Some same. Thank you. Can I read from the book? Please do. Ooh. This quote is from Wall of Sound, April 1998. And we're still walking around Monsters on Sunday Lake. It's a very big lake. This quote is from Wall of Sound, April 1998. Oh, this is going to help us here. What is a choir girl hotel? It's a world I wanted to have on this record. To me, these girls, this set of songs, they know each other. They have margaritas together and play pranks on each other. They hang out together, but they have independent solar systems from each other. They're not so dependent on each other. They let me come sometimes, but not always. You think it's okay for anyone but Tori to refer to the songs as girls? Yeah, I think everybody refers to them as girls now. Everybody? I call them her song girls. Mm, Okay. You don't? (laughs) No, I don't. Hmm, interesting. I wouldn't say that out loud, Dilbo. <laughs> Not at a Tori Amos concert. Interesting. Do you think there will be margaritas when we get to the Choir Girl Hotel? I think hotel? it's a guarantee. Uh, Frozen? On the rocks. Salt? No. <laughs> I was just testing you. No, I don't need salt. I don't need any of the accoutrement. Just, just give me the booze. Yeah, I don't, I don't even need the margarita mix. Sal- give me the tequila. Margarita mix. <laughs> Trash. What am I, a sorority girl? <laughs> exactly. This next quote is from TV Guide Online Chat. 5th of August, 1998. She says, I started writing after I miscarried, and I miscarried on December 23rd, 1996, which obviously the angel was on the tree and the whole bit. So soon after that, the song started to come, thank God, and Pandora was the first one to come. Not in her entirety, but she started to come. She came off the water. I was staying on the river, and the water was a large part of this record. I would spend hours on the water and seeing how the sea transformed itself, knowing that I had to transform myself from a woman who had lost a baby to a woman who was grieving to a woman who had to find joy in life again. So the songs began. I guess you could say early January, and the album was finished in February of 1998, ready to be mastered. Wow. So she started writing. took her a year. and like She's saying it took her a year to write this record from start to finish, from December 96 to February 98? Well, it was recorded and finished at that point, too. So just over a year from start to finish. From start to finish, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's very long. No, it's not. Some people write records in like a week or two. You know, like something like Ani DeFranco, her early stuff, like boom, out, done, get it. A year is a bit of a time. I don't know, to to write over 12 songs and then completely change the way she was writing and recording and producing. I Mm, still think that's quite a feat. Mm -hmm. And considering it takes us two and a half years to talk about an album. Native Invader took her 45 minutes. That's true. She just hit upload. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, Mark, are you finished writing the album yet? <laughs> I'm going back to bed. This is why this quote is in the primer book here. While we are walking around monsters on Sunday Lake is because the water is transforming the record. She says the, it, it was born by the river. It was born at the water. It was a large part of this record and that the water transformed her, right? From a woman who had lost a baby to a woman who's grieving to a woman who had to find joy in life again. So this water is very transformative on this record. That's very interesting. I think so, too. And she'll continue to reference that as inspiration throughout this era and sort of tie it to the rhythm of the earth and the rhythm of the body. And I think that's kind of profound. And you can hear it 
um, again, I'll go back to the tropics and kind of the warmth of this album and, and the sway of it, as opposed to the first three even, not just Paley, but to me they're very cold, kind of wintry albums, and I mean that in a good way, like in a cozy up to the fireplace kind of way, but this is totally different, sultry. And interestingly enough, those three albums all came out in January, mm. and then for the first time, this is a summer album. On Cinco de Mayo, if you were in the U.S. Don't insult me. On Cuatro me. de Mayo, if you were in the U.K. <laughs> I'm hungry. Are you hungry? I'm always hungry. What's that sign say? Blackberry picking possible sometimes. Yum. Let's pick some blackberries. All right, but it says sometimes. Are they in season? Ooh. What do your EFI see? The basket that the mute blackberry picking stand guy just gave me has a tape recorder attached to it. Follow that if you can. <laughs> should we press play? All right. Should we do it together? Unnecessarily? One, two, three. Your new album's called From the Choir Girl Hotel, and I was wondering, where is the Choir Girl Hotel for you? Well, the Choir Girl Hotel is really, it's, it's metaphorical. It's the idea that these girls, each the song girls, um, live in this space. And sometimes they let me come and visit, and sometimes they don't. I mean, they're real persnickety. <laughs> I swear to God, I could see some of these girls having margaritas together out by the pool, <laughs> just saying hi to me as I walk by. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's Jackie Strength. I can hang in the pool There's so much electronic you've introduced into the new album. What's inspired that? For this record, I was kind of going, you know, I walked into the control room and I said to the engineers, I said, all those little knobs, like over there, which is this whole wall, I said, um, do they do stuff? <laughs> and they looked at me and they said, they do stuff. Are you surprised that you were able to create, make music, create anything out of something that I guess for some people might have been as gutting or just exhausting as a miscarriage? Is that, was that, were you surprised that that actually led to creativity? Yeah, because when it happened, um, I had a very hard time getting from, you know, the bed just to the kitchen when you can't um you're so helpless when you're having a miscarriage because there's nothing you can do to save this little life so it's hard you can't be the woman you were before you carried life and you're not a mom so you're in this no man's land and the songs started to take me by the hand and say you can't create as a mother at this time, but we're coming to you. Can you hear us? And as I said, well, yeah, I can hear you. And they said, well, honor that this is another form of the life force. And this album really is about just having an appreciation for the life force in a way that I, that I really hadn't seen before. 
Did you hear her say that the Choir Girl Hotel is metaphorical and nowhere? Are we looking for a place that's not even real? Well, that's another clue. Regardless, I'm glad we tripped over that audio clip so I didn't have to talk with a mouthful of blackberries. They were delicious. I got a blackberry stain. On your finger. You want to keep walking and reading? I guess. Don't let me fall into a manhole, though. Well, you're going to have to look out for yourself because I'm going to be reading. <laughs> you're a terrible traveling companion, <laughs> but okay. Every woman for himself. Did we mention that this Choir Girl premiere has an author we skipped the title page written by shay stymack oh sounds exotic just like choir girl primer Premier. Premier. I'm Premier. Sorry. It's French, I, I yes, think. Yes, I was going to say it's French. I think it's French. Mm-hmm. This is from the Cincinnati Enquirer on July 17th, 1998. As Cruel was being written and as Hotel was being written and Liquid Diamonds was being written. Anyone else? I knew. <laughs> the piano was really saying to me, hey, I have a role to play here. But you need drums. This is written for a whole other element. If you were going to do boozy voice, like as the piano's talking, what would it sound like? Hey, hey. I have a role to play here. You need drugs. What good about me? I'm nine feet long. This is written for a whole other element. Now it's Louis Armstrong. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Songs in the tropics. She's channeled weirder. She's channeled weirder. <laughs> That's true. You want to read this quote from the Inside Connection and I'll watch out for manhole covers now? Okay. I let the rhythm take over. It wasn't really easy because I'm a control freak, but I thought if I want good rhythms, then I have to feel them, get caught up in them. This is the first album I recorded with a live percussionist. The first album where there was interaction with other musicians. Usually I recorded the vocals, the piano, and the rest of the instruments were somehow placed around it. Somehow? Somehow. They just magically appeared. I just knew that I wanted beats. My beats. Beats I created, not beats somebody else created. You think she was up there with the cans on, scratching, creating her beats? <laughs> I think of a shower. And what I quote where she's like hitting her fat in the shower. You eat those chips, girl. I wanted them to be part of my music and not the other way around. I wanted to capture a certain atmosphere that was only possible with drums. Not with additional drums, but with real-life drums. I needed the interaction with a drummer. I wanted to grow, personally and musically. And to grow, you have to move on. You have to experiment. Otherwise, it becomes far too static. You know, I think that's something that we can all agree we love about Tori is that she will always push herself, push herself in new directions, experiment with her songwriting, with her styles. If you even go as far as abnormally attracted to sin, there are all kinds of stylistic choices on there that are you don't think would work together, but they do. Same with Native Invader. Everything is she's always pushing herself into different areas. And I love that. You know what I focus in on this quote and a couple others, and even though, you know, these are not completely new to us necessarily, first time collected in this volume, though, let's say, Mm. she puts particular emphasis on working with a live drummer, Mm -hmm. but not with bass and guitar. And when I sort of think about the process of recording this album, I always picture them as a band together. Well, except for John Evans, because he came on for the live tour, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It was primarily her and Matt Chamberlain, right? right? So to some extent, the other instruments, including Caton's guitar, were sort of layered on after the way she had in the past. And it was Mm -hmm. more just about the rhythm as opposed to cutting the tracks live with a complete band. Yeah, I think, too, that has a lot to do with she's talking about the rhythm and the sway of the tropics. So it's like what was most important to her at this moment was rhythm Mm -hmm. and working with the drummer. I think, too, if you sort of follow the trajectory of her career, the bass doesn't really become a rhythmic element until I think around Scarlet's Walk when they're in that jazz combo, when they're in the jazz trio. I think that's when she starts to really look at the bass as a way to keep the beat. 
she's working with the bass there in a whole other way. So it's I think that opens her mind to the way that the bass can work. Mm-hmm. Got a real heavy bass, just like me. This is from Take to the Sky fanzine, issue 12, June 1998. The whole record had piano and vocal cut live with a drummer and a programmer. I didn't want to be isolated this time around. I've done the girl in a piano thing. I wanted to be a player with other musicians, with guitar, bass, and drums. The piano was excited, so excited, because she didn't have to masturbate for the first time in a long time. This was our chance to go to the playground and meet the other kids. Stop masturbating and go talk to children. (laughs) Stop masturbating and go to recess. For five seconds. The piano player knew her head was on the chopping block with this one. She really had to practice hard to be able to play with these guys. That's interesting because a lot of the things that we learned in the Pele season was that she would vary her tempo. Like nearly completely indiscernible to us because we know the song so well. But as a player who's trying to layer on top of her, like a George Porter Jr., for example, or a Manu Kache, trying to like find her rhythm and her minuscule changes. Right. That's what I think she means when she said, I really had to practice hard to be able to play with these guys. Like, I can't change it up. If I'm going to go for a 4-4 tempo, we're got to go for the 4-4 tempo. And she's following someone else's lead, essentially. And yeah. as a self-admitted control freak, that mm-hmm. was probably difficult, mm-hmm. too. And we'll see on the tour, too, her way of keeping control, being the band leader, even though the drums are essentially usually the lead in a band because they're keeping the rhythm. She still manages to say, like, this is when we're stopping. This is when we're starting. Yep. This is when the next section is. Tap, tap on my head when I'm done. Shoot that hand into the air. Done. Mm-hmm. Change. Go yep. to a change. Transition. Mm-hmm. I must say, Dilbo, being here with you on this sunny Wednesday afternoon, walking around this windy monsters on Sunday Lake, has taught me a lot already, and I'm happy to be on this journey with you. Me too. I, b- I haven't even noticed this steep incline up to the top of this hill. I know you're power walking with weights in your hands and everything. I just brought them for the journey. Mm-hmm. You gotta work out. But what's that? What is it? That big building right in front of us? Oh yeah. There's an H on it. Here, let's take a closer look. Mr. Van Tuen's Machine Hospital. Hmm. Interesting. It's like a little creepy. It seems abandoned. There might be some broken down robots in there. Could look like the inside of a haunted Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, I've heard tell of this Mr. Van Tuen. You've heard tell? From an actor, scantily clad, perhaps? It says right here in the Queer Girl premiere that this Van Tuen is a mm. legend. He has machine hospitals all over the globe. That's where he repairs machines. Oh. Should we go inside? Yeah, we should. Ooh, it's drafty. Echo. Gorgeous, clean, sterile. It's like an ant fucker lives in here. <laughs> Maybe we should dress up as nurses just in case. Put on your outfit. All right. You look absolutely smashing, Dilbo. Do I look like a candy striper or a candy stripper? <laughs> <laughs> you want to read the sign, what it says here on the sign? Yes, I do. From Atlantic Records promo bio, I developed this record around rhythm. I wanted to use rhythm in a way that I hadn't used it before. I wanted to integrate the piano with it. On the whole record, the piano and vocal were cut live with a drummer and a programmer. I didn't want to be isolated this time around. I've done the girl on the piano thing. I wanted to be a player with other players. Interesting. Look at this other sign. From Wall of Sound, April 1998. What was it like then, working with all the instrumentation on this record? It became a conversation. The drums would pull one way, and the piano would pull another. A relationship was happening on tape. The voice was working off a hi-hat, possibly, or was pushing something, pulling back. Then the kick drum pattern would change, and therefore my left hand would move differently, which would make the bass player do something different. So that's the way we did it, based around live performance and waiting around until the muse showed up. Sometimes you'd sit there for a few days, everybody just sitting, waiting, 
and then I started to feel her come, and I changed my shoes, and I knew she was coming. The songs completely take over when they come, and it might not be the first take. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it wasn't the song we thought it was going to be. You just hold a space for the songs to come. Do you think she literally means change her shoes? Like, yes. I have to play piano now, so I'm putting on my heels. I think she does, and she's also talked about taking a shot and going outside in a different outfit before doing She's Your Cocaine and stuff like that. Taking so, a shot? Yeah. Oh. I think her having some kind of drink, but I think she says taking a shot <sighs> and putting on leather pants or something. She was already dollsing us in 1998. <laughs> she was. You know what I could use on this journey? A shot. A shot. Yeah. You know, just the promise of margaritas, though, is what's keeping me going. The promise of margaritas, the Samwise Ganjeev story. There's never been a better title for my autobiography. This hospital is huge, by the way. God, cavernous. Think they have a tram? Give me the book. This is from the Nue Review on April 8th, 1998. On your new album, rhythm plays a large role. She says, that's also related to my miscarriage. I experienced the concept of rhythm totally different at the time. Rhythm as a primitive fact. The rhythm of life, of water and earth. I realized for the first time that earth is so much bigger than a human and that it is really a gigantic living organism. An organism experiencing terrible things and very beautiful things. Birth and death. Turbulence and peace. And I felt like a small part of that big whole. I saw life force in a way I had never seen it before, but at the same time, I had questions. I'd go to the shopping center and see parents slap their kids, and you wonder why some people get children they don't care about, and why I... I started asking God questions. To any God that could make 10 minutes of his time for me, I just had to understand. Oh, that's heavy. Mm. There's something about that quote that puts me like right there with her. The idea like that I'd never considered before of choir girl being, I understood the rhythm of the water, right? Like you hear the slapping of the waves and then you're starting to build rhythmic patterns in your head. But the idea on a larger whole of rhythm, the cycle of life, right? Life and death and the rhythm and the ebbs and flows of that. You know, you're going to die. Everyone's going to die. So you know that there is like a, a rhythm to that or a pattern. So it never occurred to me that choir girls following kind of that rhythm. I hear that for sure. And I'm also kind of taken with the last bit of the quote where she talks about, you know, seeing children with their parents. Mm-hmm. And that sort of takes me to the breakdown bridge from IIE that's yeah, not 100%. present on the album. Yeah. But also so relatable, not in terms of that specific experience, but whatever you're going through in your life, there's always that moment of, Like, why them and not me? Mm -hmm. Or why do bad things happen to good people? Or, you know, if you see someone else who has something that you want or something that you're trying to create for yourself and you haven't managed to get there, it's kind of heartbreaking to try to see the logic in what seems to be randomness, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. My favorite part of this era, of the whole Choir Girl era, from the album, through the live shows, through the whole tour, just the whole era wrapped up in a bow. My favorite singular, if I had to choose my singular favorite moment from the era, is on Sessions at West 54th, where she says, Why then? Why I, 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 And it, like, that whole song opens up, like, clarity. I got... Just total clarity the first time I heard mm-hmm. it. That it was just this like moan or this wail or this questioning mm-hmm. of why. I, 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 Yeah, that becomes kind of this tribal chant of yeah. grief. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it just kind of goes up into the air. Oh, singular favorite moment of this whole era. Yeah. Read more from the book as we walk down these cavernous halls of this hospital. From Music Week, April 11th, 1998, from the Choir Girl Hotel marks Amos's move firmly away from the girl and her piano niche she'd carved out for herself. 
being the first recordings with the proper band, instruments have previously been laid over the finished recordings. The result is that the artist Busendorfer piano takes a back seat. Subsequently, the strong use of drums and background electronic effects, not to mention some pulsing beats and loops, will surprise fans. Amos says, the piano was always there at the center, but she's not down in the same way. She's more integrated. It's more like a passing of the baton to other instruments, although she still shines at times. Stanley believes the change is a natural progression for Amos. He says the album was sort of a reaction to Boys for Pele, which was almost classical in its execution, quite dark with complicated structures and arrangements. This one is a lot more tuneful and positive lyrically, and different because of the other musicians on it. It's way beyond my expectations. Dickens describes the album as extraordinary. With this, she has carved out a niche that is 100% hers, he says. The album was recorded in a studio in Cornwall, with piano and vocals being cut live with the drummer and programmer, and TV cameras and screens set up so each could watch the other. Amos says, my drummer, Mad Chamberlain, just has a psychic way of hearing music and we cut live on every song except Jackie's strength. We would look at each other and he would push something and I would pull back. It was more like a conversation. Stanley adds, Tori has played with a lot of people, but this was something completely different. She would do a song Matt hadn't heard and he would play and that would be the take. It was amazing. Mm. First of all, Ian Stanley, who worked on this album, this isn't the first time they've worked together either. No. He did some tracks on Little Earthquakes. He did some tracks that were cut from Little Earthquakes, for example, The Pool. Yep. So that's just really interting. I love how they say TV cameras. As <laughs> opposed to just like video cameras. She's going live from the Choir Girl Hotel. TV cameras. <laughs> they have the van out there with the yeah, like, totally. satellite dish at top. And you know, she wanted to collaborate and be in the same room with other musicians. So I had to put me in a different room. Right. <laughs> as far away as possible. Yeah. Just like when we record. Yeah. <laughs> We're mimicking her recording process as we enter this album. David. Dilbo. Dilbo. Go in the other room. So I could see you on the TV Picking screen. Picking you up on my mic. Stop it. <laughs> Not. Who's David? Stupid fat hobbit. Do you think they have that footage somewhere? I don't think they were recording it necessarily. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Do you think that Tori Amos ever lets a moment go by that's not captured on film Right, you know how Madonna says in Truth or Dare, or how Dick Tracy, I mean Warren Beatty says about Madonna in Truth or Dare, why would she do anything if it wasn't on camera? Like, she doesn't want to live if it's not on camera. Why then I think there's a little bit of Tori in that, especially when she's making music and she records all her live shows. She's recording this, of course I think the footage is rolling, especially because they're trying to capture everything, right? Why hasn't it seen the light of day then? Like, not even in the Choir Girl EPK. We don't see any of the actual recording process, which is disappointing. is disappointing. You kind of see staged moments where she's at the command center control board moving stuff around but not actually doing anything. You know those knobs over there? Do they do stuff? They do stuff. As a sound engineer, you know, I'm also a sound designer and sound engineer and I run a theater and the knobs over there, the knobs that do stuff over there, they just are extra channels for other things to be plugged in. Mm -hmm. They do the exact same stuff as these channels that you're on, but they do the same stuff for other channels. So you're just plugging in more things. Maybe that's what she means. And I mean, in the 90s, in 1998, that control board probably had all the power of a speaking spell. No, it was pretty sophisticated. I mean, you can do a lot more with them now, but like the functionality was there in the 90s. So I've heard. (laughs) What does this say on this page? Machines come in many forms. Some capture sounds, some capture images. Look behind you and head down the other wing of Ventuan's machine hospital. What could that mean, David? I don't know. Look behind you. I always get scared when a sign tells me to look behind me, though. (laughs) Oh, these are enormous photocopiers. (laughs) What's going on? Have you ever seen one so big? No, I just want to put my butt on it. (laughs) This isn't the drive all night Christmas party. Perhaps this book. Just want to put my butt on it. <laughs> Perhaps this premiere, written by Shea Mock, will give us more clarity. Your accent is so intoxicating. 
Thank you. From Q Magazine, April 1998. Tori Amos clambered on top of the photocopier to create this Katerina Jeb picture for the artwork of her forthcoming as yet untitled album. Picture this, there's a photocopy office. The fluorescent light is still buzzing and there I am snogging the massive machine in the corner. The only way you can stay on the machine is to have a piece of your body suctioned onto it. It takes seven minutes a picture. I love this description of her clamoring onto a photocopier in an office. Like she just ran into a Kinko's and hopped on a machine. Get, get her off there. No, we told her. No, get off. Stop and you it. complain that I wanted to put my butt on it? That's what these things are for. Look at all around you. <laughs> But prints aplenty. Get the this Windex. one has lipstick on it. That's What's never going to come off. What is that? <laughs> God, this one has red. Is this hair stuck to the hinges? It's unsanitary. Oh, I'm curious about these machines, though. Let's read more. Okay. This is from the Yahoo Online chat, April 13th, 1998. How did you come about the concept of the photography on your new album? And Tori says, I saw both of the photographer's books, Katerina Jeb, and she did the cover and some of the inner photos. The cover is me being on a photocopier, and how you accomplish this is by snogging a machine. You have to spend it in midair because it's not as big as your body, and for seven minutes, it's photocopying your thoughts. The strange thing is, there are only two of these machines in Europe, and they are in actual photocopy shops. So I'm on this machine while Tom and Peter are on their computers, and I'm suctioned to it in the corner as they continue doing their thing. It's all a little bit strange. The other photographer, Martina Hoogland Ivanov, her work really touched me in a deep way. I think she was actually suctioned to it. I think she's like, I can't move. I've got to stick to it. Like, I can't move. Do you think they pressed down on her at all? <laughs> like, bubbled? <laughs> yeah. Like, boop. like, Tom and Peter, get off your computers and sit on her. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah. I don't know why she's complaining that there's only two in Europe. There's like a hundred in this hospital. <laughs> Some machines go to die. Let's read this from the Times-Picayne, October 9th, 1998. Do you want to be Tori or the interviewer? Tori. Okay. I think everything serves as a source for me, and everybody knows that. If you walk into my sphere, I'm probably clocking you. I don't hide that fact. To really be a songwriter, you have to be an observer. And sometimes you have to also observe yourself. In keeping with that philosophy, she is a method actor when it comes to her album artwork. The muted, otherworldly images that decorate from the Choir Girl Hotel were made with a special color photocopier, one that could take full body images. Because synthesizers and other machines played such a large role in the making of From the Choir Girl Hotel, she says, I felt like there had to be some kind of contact with the machine world visually. So I laid down on these photocopiers, and you can't move for seven minutes. It captures every movement you make. You basically have to have a relationship with the machine. Your lips and body are pressed up against the machine. Did she gain any insights from this experience? Having to not move for seven minutes and being stuck to plexiglass is a whole different thing than meditating. Not that I'm a big meditator, but it's a whole different thing. Your eyes are open and the flashes are going by. You really understand that this machine is alive, and you're trying to have a conversation with it, and it's completely interrogating you. I can't imagine being stuck and unable to move for seven minutes because the moment you think I can't move, like your nose starts to itch. Of course, so you have to sneeze. Yeah, your yeah. hair, your little blue-threaded baby doll bear gets caught on your finger or something happens. <laughs> I love that Tori's so polite. She's like, well, if I'm going to be pressed up against you for seven minutes, I guess we'll have a conversation. So come here often. <laughs> and Katerina Jeb's like, stop talking stop to the machine. <laughs> your lips are going to be blurry in the picture. It's interrogating me. So we have maybe 10 images max 
on this copier, right? Do you think those are all the ones that were taken? I mean, obviously each image was probably taken two or three times to get it right and to like adjust, but do you think there are other that we just have never seen, other images that we have never seen? I have to imagine there are, and they kept popping up as single album artwork and in, mm -hmm. the, um, in the tour book. There's always outtake after outtake after outtake, so I imagine there are a few, but maybe they had to be a little more focused than you normally would with a standard photo shoot because it takes so long. Mm -hmm. And I imagine just like the hair and makeup for each shot would take forever because she's wearing something different and her makeup is different in each one or at mm -hmm. least had to be mm -hmm. reapplied so i wonder over how many days they did this yeah and how much money that kinko's lost so i mean they probably rented out they had to i'm sure had to rent out the copier mm. like can you imagine doing that in front of people have you ever had to do something like really really exposed in front of people who couldn't care less every day of my life yeah <laughs> but do you know what i'm saying like having to really reveal yourself to somebody while someone in the background is just doing their thing yeah i've had to do that tell me more you know, like when you're acting or when I'm directing something and I'm trying to get a good performance and you've just really got to be completely exposed and someone could just be walking down the hall and not peek in for a second and it's just very awkward. Right. You know? I mean, this has been fascinating, but do you mind if we leave? Hospitals do kind of freak me out. Yeah, hospitals give me the willies. Okay. Ugh. Finally, mm. oh, fresh air. Uh, we can use our cell phones again. Uh, you brought your cell phone? Well, plug in Choir Girl Hotel in Google Maps and see what it says. Okay, hang on. Here we go. Ah, crap. What? I lost signal. Damn it. No bars. Ooh, it's getting cold. Mm. What does that sign say? Sultans of Spoon? Is that mm. like the Sultans of Funk? I think it's, yeah, similar. Inspired by. Should we go down there and maybe, see what's up? Maybe we should circumvent that. I'm not in the mood to spoon. Fair enough, Dilbo. And let's find another way around. Wait a second. Can you hear that? Oh, let's get closer. Um, I'm glad to say that I've got the, the hot off the press here. Some, the album isn't even, well, it's finished, but it's not yet set. This is the unmastered, as it were. Um, there's a lot of really exciting material. It all seems very personal to you. Tell me a little bit about some of the songs on here. Um... Well, I wanted to have a lot of rhythm in the record. I really looked to the rhythm, and I needed it, desperately needed it in my life at that time. And um, I wanted to integrate it with the piano much more. Well, you are a pianist, as we mentioned before. Um, you could have been, in fact, a concert pianist had you wanted to. Um, but what is it about the rhythm? You wanted to integrate with other musicians, is that what you mean? Um, actually with the songs themselves, so that foundationally the way that I was writing, mm -hmm. I would play my body in the shower just to get the rhythm. I mean, there's a lot of it to play, so I get different tone and stuff. And I would just stay in the shower and um, sing for hours, sing for hours and write the songs around the rhythm. And, and as a process, was that new to you? It's not how, not how you wrote before. A lot of times the rhythm would be applied later. It was so much about me and the piano and what we were doing. And this time, the piano kind of looked at me and said, I want to play with the guys. You know, I really want to... I think it has this fantasy of being Jimmy Page, the piano. <laughs> and, it, and it wanted to have that... Um, Independence, almost. Yeah, yeah but... Having to, uh, you know, hold its own with the other players. Not that they build everything around the, the um, solo artist, you know. And also, particularly for you. Let's read what this has to say about the Sultans of Spoon. Turn to the Sultans of Spoon page. <gasps> 
This one says, must read together. <laughs> Do you want to be Chris or Tori? I thought we were going to read everything just at the same time. Oh no, what if that's what the premiere means? Now, now the, the new, new album, album is from the, the Quaker, Quaker Hotel, Hotel, which I think, which I is, think is absolutely, absolutely superb. superb. Thank, Thank you. you. How long has this, this taken to, to put, put together? together? A good a year and, and a half, half I, I guess. guess. This is my part. <laughs> I guess if we consider when I started writing... Um, I'm a slowpoke, you know. It just takes me time to get it right. Would you say that this album is a different style to your previous Trace albums? Well, I recorded live with a drummer, and before, the other records were written, played around the piano and vocal, and now I cut the piano and vocal live with a drummer and a programmer, and I felt that the piano really needed that to have that interaction, and there was an internal rhythm to that work that, you know, I just wanted to explore. Would you say that this has been easier to record than the other Trace? <laughs> well, I really loved playing, you know, with a band. It was exciting for me. Whereas before, it's always been like you're there on your own singing. And I got a little lonely, I think, playing by myself. Ah. Sometimes you just want to go, God, I got to jam with somebody. God. I got to jam with somebody. Who loves me. I'm hearing, you know, this. these quotes make sense as we're going down the Sultans of Spoon. Mm. But let's read some more and see where this path takes us. Okay. From Illinois Entertainer, September 1998. Do you want to be the editor's notes or Tori? Um, I'll be the one line of editor's note. Thank you. <laughs> As I was writing the music, I knew that the songs were requiring that I cut them live, and the engineers, Mark and Marcel, convinced me to do that. They said, you're never going to get the pocket you want unless you cut live. It's never going to happen. So that changed the way I approached the record. You think he said it with a slap across the face? So just wake up, because it's never going to happen. You're never going to get that pocket. Wake up, Pollyanna. Get God. your head out of the clouds. You're going to need cargos if you want pockets. Wait, cargos, <laughs> that's a good idea. Ooh, write that write down. That down. So that changed the way I approached this record. For the most part, the other records were built around the piano and the piano vocal performances because I didn't want the piano held hostage to a drummer. Drummers have a lot of power because they decide on the pulls and pushes of the tune. Later in the article, I talked with Eric and he said, Matt Chamberlain, I've just worked with him and I really believe the two of you will have a language all your own. So Matt flew in and we played some of the material that I had written last summer. I knew immediately that this was right. I think it's interesting that she just throws in there that she was still calling Eric up for, you know, career advice. I know that Caton had mentioned when we interviewed Caton that he had known Matt too in the scene. Right, And he had connected Eric with Matt a long time before this. And it goes just how connected everything in the music scene is. Like if Eric had suggested anyone else, maybe they would have gotten along completely differently and changed the course of her music. Or, you know, maybe it would have taken a long time for her to find the right drummer. But it's just really interesting how things like that work out. There seemed to be some kind of synchronicity here with this project coming together and kind of the best players, the best fit that eventually became a unit that worked together for a long time, kind of all, it was seemed kind of orchestrated in a way. Like divine, mm -hmm. divinely orchestrated. Mm -hmm. Even if you go back, if you go back to just the natural progression of her first four records, where it's like, okay, it's woman alone at piano, then we add a little bit of screeching guitar and that little like guitar riff at the beginning of Cornflake Girl, and those are major hits. Then she produces herself, adds a harp score. Like it's slowly building to there is nowhere else to go, but like now she's got to work with other people. Mm. Like if she wants to keep pushing forward, now it, like she's slowly building towards that. For sure. She'd taken the piano and keyboards in general as far as she could go at that yeah. point with it just yeah. being her. It's not like she wrote three little earthquakes, right? It's not like she wrote three albums just her and a piano. It was always kind of going forward. Mm hmm. <laughs> 
Um, I don't want to alarm you. Is there something behind me again? Yes. Oh, God. It's a little bunny. And it's got a tape recorder in its mouth. Come here, little bunny. Torador is weird. You can't toss a dick without hitting the tape recorder around here. Oh, I got it. While you were sitting here making your jokes, I was chasing after a bunny. Oh. <sighs> That's how you stay in shape. Let's play this. One, two, two three. You uh, worked with a band on, on this record and also on stage today. Oh, yeah. Does that change the way you play the piano? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you uh, you can't just um, go off half-cocked on your own and say, well, I'm going to make up, you know, 24 bars here of whatever because I can't breathe. So, um, you know, the audience doesn't have to know I'm, like, ready to have a cardiac. And now I can't really do that. Again, we go back to it's not just about me anymore. I have to be aware of of where it's going and... and um, you have to work as a team. Again, it's not they're just supporting me. It's very much about a conversation between four people. Why did you choose to bring in the band? I think I was lonely. I think I've done the world tour by myself for so long. I mean, I've done it. I've taken the piano um, all over the place, and together we we did we made a pact when I was a little girl, and we I honored that pact. And now as a musician, I really needed to grow and play with other people. In the past, you talked about uh, the relationship you have with your piano, and now you say it's, it's a pact. Did that relationship or that pact change because of working with the band? It's changing. I mean, I think she's feeling, and I, more comfortable about um, our relationship. And, you know, we, we trust that we'll be okay. I think um, maybe we were afraid of intimacy with other players. I don't know, but I, that's changed. Oh, that was extensive. Mm, that seems like faint praise. I'm just noting how extensive it was because right when she finished, I looked up and realized I have no idea where we are. What does that sign say? Mr. Grumpy's Maze. Oh, no. Hmm. But the arrows are pointing out of the maze. This seems to be the outdoor. We can still go in. Well, you can. You first. Oh, ooh, it's spooky. Oh, no. What does Shastimak have to say about this? Shastimak? What does Shastimak have to say about this in the Prima Man? Shastimak. I'm sorry. Mr. Grumpy, I don't like him. This feels weird. Read. Should I whisper it so we don't wake up Mr. Grumpy? Whatever yes. that is. Shh. You'll wake up Mr. Grumpy. Okay. That seems like a slang term for someone's junk, but all right. This is from Alternative Press, January 1998. They're a ruthless lot, these songs, Amos says in her typically obscure manner. One thinks she's made the final cut, but then they spray paint her dress before she walks down the catwalk and she isn't allowed to go out. I want to bite people's butts when they hear my record and i want people to want to bite other people's butts when they hear it that explains why we went in the outdoor i would be grumpy too if people were biting my butt do you think people want to bite each other's butts when they hear our podcast because that's what i'm always hoping <laughs> I, want people, I want people to want to bite each other's butts when they hear the not the red baron episode okay we're through the thick of it that was a maze mm-hmm. what is this I'm going to need your gesture to be a little more clear. I can't tell where you're pointing. <laughs> Look in front of your you. Your arms are windmilling Look in front wildly. Of you, all of these women? Uh, oh. 
What does that sign say? Maybe that'll shed light on where we are, where the Has hell we are. Has anyone seen anything that belongs to Marcel Brothel? I knew it was a brothel. You, you knew a brothel. I had a sense. I saw it in their eyes. <laughs> oh, oh, hello, ma'am. Ooh, oh. <laughs> She's taking us both by the arm. Where is she leading us? I'm, I'm just glad you Why knew what was going on, because there's nothing more embarrassing than when you wander into a place and you think it's a buffet, and then you find out it's actually a brothel. What? She's leading us to... She's giving me the look that this will explain everything. Read the sign on the door. I don't think that's what that look means, but okay. This is from Atlantic Records promo bio. The piano was so excited! So excited because she didn't have to masturbate for the first time in a long time. That's the second time we've encountered this. That must mean something. I think it's worth repeating. That's a clue. Highlight that in the book. Did we bring a highlighter? I have one here. You brought your cell phone and a highlighter. Yeah. Kudos to you. That might I have to study and call someone. I don't necessarily need to stop here at the brothel if you don't. Well, I'm good. What about you, David? I think I'm set. I'm not really in the market for a mute woman. Oh, she walked away. Oh, rude. Let's go around the back. Is that pudding? That's pudding. Oh my god. What kind? Chocolate, vanilla, non-dairy, and served in individual cup. That's fine. And spoons. Oh, I haven't eaten since those blackberries. As long as it's not rice. Let's eat. <laughs> my precious. <laughs> you know what? I'm full. <laughs> Let's cross this bridge. For like two seconds, you'll be full. I mean, unless we find another pudding dungeon. You know, I might be getting sleepy, but let's cross this bridge before dark. Oh my God, you're sleepy, you're hungry, you're... Well, I did not expect for it to take this long to find the Quagra Hotel. I'm sorry, I feel like Mr. Grumpy's maze is rubbing off on me. Feeling yeah. a little grumpy. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's a troll bridge, Dilbo. Bound to happen sooner or later. And he's writing something on it. He's mute. Yeah. How does one ply a mute troll? He's telling us what to do. Mm. He's writing something down on a poster board. This is the weirdest place. It really is. In order to pass the Richard III Troll Bridge, you must read the following quote together to my satisfaction. Put a lot on there. In All right. Unison. Do you want to be the unnamed reporter or do you want to be Tori? Unnamed reporter. Really? Yeah. I think this journey into Tordor is teaching us, Dilbo, that you have to take center stage. All right, Mr. Troll, we're ready. As ready as we'll ever be. <laughs> you just got married, but you were pregnant last year. The miscarriage that followed you called it the germ for the new album. I was sitting on a small landing stage and I was watching the river, the rhythm of the water. That was right after the miscarriage when I was most depressed. And that rhythm urged me to make the new album. The songs were flowing into me. I had to do something with it. At the time, I hardly felt connected to my womanhood. Because you can't go back to the feeling how it was before you miscarried. I couldn't anyhow. You have very strong feelings for that being which is no longer there. You have to do something to make the pain go away. You can try to build a wall around you, but there comes a moment when you realize, Tori, this can't go on any longer. And then you went into the studio? Yes, because beings with songs were coming to visit me, and I was allowed to help and make them. I would be walking in the vegetable section of the supermarket and suddenly feel the muse somewhere between the cucumbers. So you're choosing a suitable cucumber and suddenly a tune comes to you? Something like that, yes. That's how it has always happened. You have to open yourself to this energy. You have to learn how to tune your feelers. So when you feel the muse coming, you can do something with it. It's kind of like tracking. 
except you're hunting for something without a physical shape. It's located somewhere in the ether, and the trick is recognizing it. For that, you have to learn to trust your feelings. Thank you, Mr. Troll. Mm. I hope it gets better for you. Find your voice. Reach between the cucumbers. <sighs> that was a nice troll. Man, he's fine. I, when I saw that, it said Richard the Third Troll Bridge, I got a little nervous. Me too, because I'm not boned up on my Shakespeare. thought he was going to ask us a Shakespeare question. going to be like question. a riddle or something. Isn't that what trolls do? Turns yeah. out we just had to read. What a disappointing troll. <laughs> <laughs> I reassess him completely. We have a long road ahead of us. This is called the low road. L-O-W-E. Oh, because we took the high road earlier, and now we're taking the low road? I was going to take the Chadlow road. Hopefully, when we get to the Choir Girl Hotel, all of these names will make sense to us. Well, low, Van Tuen, Spoon, all these things I just don't understand. Marcel. Oh, yeah. Who is Marcel? We didn't even comment on his brothel. We could have thanked him. We didn't see him. You think he's the madam? Ooh, maybe. I didn't utilize the amenities of his brothel, mm. but I did enjoy his pudding dungeon. Do you think when they said, has anyone seen anything that belongs to Marcel brothel, they were referring to his clothes? Oh. Isn't he like nude all the time? Maybe. Likes to take his clothes off. Yeah. You don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time, but it can't hurt. Well, this is a long road, so I'll get to walking. You get to reading. God, I'm always the one reading. This is from Spin Magazine from May 1998. The album was recorded in a converted barn in Cornwall, England, and to further instill the collaborative spirit, she and drummer Matt Chamberlain were set up in separate rooms, equipped with TV monitors so they could watch each other play. He's on the TV, as far away as you are from me. His face! I can see him this close! And I'm playing, and I'm looking at him. Everything you're hearing is full takes. It was about a moment in time, and we played together for weeks to get those moments. They were trying to collaborate, so obviously they had to be in separate rooms. Yeah, and it's probably really hard, though, to be a piano player and collaborate on something brand new with a drummer who's probably behind you, just like the logistics of the room, right? And the way you're playing. Like, if you think of her stage setup, if her piano is the main focus of her recording studio, this piano is set up to achieve maximum, the best sound quality, right? It's mm -hmm. set up, it's probably dominating the room. So in order to fit a drummer in that room, it's probably impossible. But if they could fit a drummer in the room, it's probably the same orientation that it is on stage. And to write something new and to create something new with someone when they're behind you like that, that's not really, like unless you're really just closing your eyes and tuning in to the sounds, then maybe you can have a dialogue, but it seemed like she wanted to look at his face and like, and that only way to do that maybe was to put them into separate rooms. Yeah, I get that. And do you think they were also kind of like the Pele box that they built? They were trying to keep her Sound piano lead. and vocals separate mm. from the drums just for mixing purposes. What an astute observation, Perhaps. Dilbo. And I also kind of feel like watching each other close up on a monitor might have built more intimacy, actually. Oh, because like, you're like right up in their face. Yeah, right I was up having in their like grill. Skype sex, maybe. Oh, I don't do that. Okay, well, this road has been long. I don't know if you noticed, but while you were reading, we passed a dirt path, like a little dotted line dirt path. <laughs> Should we go back? No, there's one right up here, another one. Let's just take a right. All right. You want to head east? Sure. What's that sign say? The no hello zone. What does that mean? What does that mean? That's rude. Are we going to a gay bar? Because if I want <sighs> people to not say hello to me, I can just I just go home. there. Exactly. <laughs> just go to the Black Dove on a Friday. Seriously. God. Invisible. Yeah. Now, 
We're at a crossroads of sorts. There's four dirt paths converging here at this no hello zone. I don't know which way to go. I'm getting a little turned around. I just want you to close your eyes and I'm going to spin you around. You're going to okay. point. Okay. And we're just going to go wherever your finger is. Okay. Done. That's got me in trouble Three, before. Three, two, one. Okay. We're going here. Okay. Oh, jeez. Ugh. Oh, jeez. Is that a tower? Seems to be a tower of some oh, kind. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Do we have to... Do we have to climb this tower? Oh, God. I hope there's someone inside who can let their hair down. Oh, jeez. I don't want to have to take the stairs. I see no hair and no windows. God damn it. All right. Well, hoist me up. You want me to do the thing where I make like a little step up with my hands? Yes, please. Okay. Hang on one second. I'm up here at the top. Maybe our no hello problem is because of all the grunting we're doing. What? Just a thought. Can't hear you. Never mind. You want to come up? Oh, great. Now what am I supposed to do? I can pull you. Can you? Yeah. With what? My arms. Okay. <laughs> jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, we didn't think uh, this through. One, two, three. Uh. Oh, Dilbo. You could see for miles up here. Oh, yeah. Check it it's out. It's beautiful. It was worth it now that we're up here. Look over there in the distance, far up north. What? What is that that you see? Something seems to be humming. pulsating rhythm of some kind emanating. What is it? I think it's... Um, that sign's huge. You can read it. Let me get my binocs. You brought binoculars too. I got a big bag. You know what? When I went home to get snacks, I really was just getting snacks. <laughs> God. <laughs> yes, I can see from here that it seems to be the hum of the amazing Echoplex Shrine. That sounds beautiful. I know what an Echoplex is. An Echoplex is a tape delay effect first made in 1959. Designed by Mike Battle, the Echoplex set a standard for the effect of the 1960s. It is still regarded as the standard by which everything else is measured. It was used by some of the most notable guitar players of the era. Original Echoplexes are highly sought after. Mm-hmm. So we think that an Echoplex was used on the recording of this album. Oh, it must be. What songs in particular do we think? I think I.I.E. I would agree with that. That's what I've always assumed anyway, based on what exactly I'm not sure. Well, it's interesting that on this page of the premiere, Shasty Mac has included an audio clip audio? of an interview with a person named Steve Caton. Let's listen. You're in Martian Studios for the first time. Do you have any early memories of the recording process, like the first track you laid down? Or Well, the first track I laid down was uh, just me. I made a little sequence on, a, on an Echoplex. It's an old tape echo unit. It's analog and it's tape. Old school. It's nice. Yeah, it's old school and it sounds great. And you can put it on feedback and it'll and you can determine the amounts of feedback and you can get it to just repeat, repeat, repeat. But as it's repeating, you get a, this degradation of sound. And that was the first track that I, I don't want to say played, but you. recorded or yeah. laid down. It was the first track. And uh, I think everybody felt good because... It's like, yeah, well, there it is. That's uh, I don't know what I don't know what became of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know where it ended up in the mix or at all or whatever. Because you know, as it went along, it got more and more out of sync with right. the track, and it's right. certainly really not what you what you want. You might have been able to like plug it in for certain a bit or something, but I don't I don't really know what happened to it. But that was the first part I played, and uh, everyone felt at ease because they knew that stylistically mm -hmm. it was right yeah whether or not it actually ended up in the in the song is another thing but the point of view was correct interesting mm. the echoplex is also a party spot in los angeles right 
I guess we should keep going. You see that standing stone over there? I do. If we can get there, we can sleep for the night. Okay. We just have to make it through these mountains. What's this place? Burning Sage Vista. I thought it smelled like 2002. What does Shastimac have to say about this in the Primea? I can stand to go for some smudging. This is from Uncut in June 1998. The characters in the songs are very different, and the sound reflects that. Shijo Kokain is a glam rock point of view. Northern Lad is an Old Stones type of ballad. Playboy Mommy is that rootsy Southern American thing. Hotel is very 80s with sequenced keyboards. I wanted to transport people to different places. Oh, so each of these girls in the hotel are different. I see. Like, she's really, as a composer, she's, like, trying to infuse each with a different kind of feeling. Mm, they're their own little self-contained worlds or microcosms. And that's why she's saying they don't need each other to survive. They hang out together, but they're very different. And they go back to their rooms at the end of the night. Well, we've made it to Standing Stone Rock. I see this is a standing stone, but I'm going to sit on it. Looks comfy. I just want to lay on it. The light is blue. It's gorgeous. I just want to perch myself on it and pull my hair back behind my ears. You should. It's really flattering. Oh, thank you. Now cock your legs at a oh. really uncomfortable, oh. awkward angle. That Take looks my unnatural. Do you buy the cell phone? Take my picture. I got it. Take. Oh. You're going to want to post this. Okay, good. I will. When we get back, when we get service. Someone carved something here on this rock. Oh, yeah. What does that say? What does that say? I'm wrecked. I'm wrecked? Hmm. What does that mean? I don't know. What does Shasty Mac have to say about this in the premiere? Well, this is from the New York Times on the 23rd of April, 1998. I would change my clothes to be able to sing the songs on this album because you have to become the Sybil of songwriting. I've really been interested in allowing myself to be taken over by the characters in the songs. You have to change to allow the presence of the entities of these songs to come. For any songwriter to say that they do it on their own, well, they must have a very lonely life. I have a very busy life because these girls are coming in and out all the time since I was a little girl. I'm never really alone. So do we think Tori actually dressed up and changed her clothes to perform different songs? No. I think she did, actually, but okay. You think? Yeah. Really? There are other quotes, and perhaps we will get to them during their respective episodes, but I seem to recall her saying, she's your cocaine, for example. She put on, like, a leather skirt mm -hmm. and took a shot. Mm -hmm. and went You're obsessed with that shot. And went, <laughs> went outside and stood in the cold. She takes one shot once in her life, and you cannot let her live Can't it down. let it go. <laughs> what do you think Raspberry Swirl wore? Flannel? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Baseball she's cap. nude. She's nude? She's nude. Golly. She was swirling a raspberry while she was playing the beat. Do you think Tori ever did a nude take photo shoot? on the photocopier? Like, let's just do one naked and see what it looks like. Yeah, I think if she trusted Katerina Jeb, and I, if I know Tori, and I know Tori, I've spent two years in the underworld with her. If I know Tori, she maybe did a nude photo scan but not fully nude i bet there was something covering her virginia and then she had her hand gracefully around her bosoms well that's not nude then well she was still nude when you have something covering you you're by definition not nude you know like her hand or something like her legs were placed in a certain way so that you couldn't see her virginia okay. and then her hands were cupping her bosoms so that they could not only hide them but also squish them together and make them look bigger right flattering i've done that pose when i wanted to attract a man it's one of the tricks of the trade we all know that one mm -hmm. how to minimize and maximize mm. where necessary. <laughs> you push together and lift. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's take a little nap for the evening. Is it a disco nap? Did you bring your blinders? A scented candle? No. What's this down here? A tape recorder. Again. Thick as flies down here. Hopefully it's a little Nacht music. I just don't want to have a Nachtmare.
posted to RMTA, February 13th, 1998, from Johanna. Hi guys, this is from MTV site. Tori Amos, whose next album, Confessionings of a Choir Girl, is due out in May, will kick off a small club tour in mid-April, marking the first time that Tori will go on the road with a full backing band. The tour will start in Miami and hit several big cities, winding up in Los Angeles. A larger scale tour will follow later. February 14th from Aaron. This is so exciting. It's like a name. Wow, how cool and a good name at that. Wow, okay, I'm so thrilled about this. Cool. February 14th from Amy. Um, except confessionings is not a word. It's probably confessions. I haven't seen Mickey's original post. Do we have a source for the title? February 14th from Aaron. Well, the info is up on the dent, and it is confessionings there too. Although Mike White questioned whether or not it could be a typo. My guess is that it probably is, but who are we to assume for sure one way or the other? Probably when the source sees the error, they will fix it, and then it will get passed down to us. I hope it is wrong. Confessionings sounds kind of silly, don't you think? February 14th from Matthew. Probably the original info came from one source, and it's been gradually filtering through all the other sources to us. If the original title notice had a typo, then MTV and the others wouldn't necessarily correct it in case it wasn't a typo. It doesn't sound bad as confessionings, just kind of odd. So if it's not a typo, as somebody else said, we'll just get used to it. March 1st from Ariadne. MTV, those dumbasses had the title for the new album wrong. It's not Confessionings of a Choir Girl, it's actually from the Choir Girl Hotel. I think the fuckheads at MTV were too busy focusing on Puff Daddy to get this clear. What a pleasant and refreshing sleep. Mm, I'm ready for another leg. Did you hear the voice of the angel calling in the middle of the night? What was it saying? I don't know, but it was very high pitched. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to inform you, Dilbo, this appears to be a dead end. So we're going to have to make our way back to the main path. No more detours. It's as if the world just ends here. Going to fall off the edge. There's nothing to the north and nothing to the east. So west then? Uh, Did you get some good sleep? Fine. I mean, sleeping on a rock isn't ideal. So now that we're back on the main road, let's just keep going until we see another dirt path. To take my mind off the fact that we haven't eaten breakfast, why don't you read from the premiere? This is from Roomba in Finland, March 13th, 1998. I wasn't going to publish my new album because I became pregnant at the end of my previous tour. When I was third month pregnant, I had a miscarriage. I had to give myself time to enjoy the pregnancy and motherhood. I really didn't have any plans. When I had the miscarriage, the music just started to arise. Do you know the feeling when you're empty inside, literally, and the hormones are mixed up and all these things happen? When I'm having some kind of crisis, the songs turn the universe upside down to find me. I have a good relationship with the muse who usually comes to me and brings gals 
claws along and they start dragging me up. So even when I wasn't able to create new as a human being, I was able to do that as a musician. What is Choir Girl Hotel and who are living there? Every song is an individual. I call my songs girls. In a way, they have existed like the being who was at first outside of me and then visited me and then left because he, she couldn't settle. The songs are individuals. They visit me. I record them, and then they go to the world by themselves. I send them away with a lunchbox and a juice bottle. Every girl has her own protons and neutrons inside her. Raspberry Swirl is her own unity, and Spark has a thing of her own. Later, I started to see those girls at some hotel. Some of them spent time at a pool and drank margaritas. Some of them answered the phone after gagging the person at the reception. Another girl visited the strange guy in room number 13. I saw a bunch of people who were very independent, yet they still worked together well, sort of like a band. I wasn't sure about my role. Would they let me join in? Did they want me to tell what they were doing? Or were they trying to tell me things that I had to express? That was a great quote. It got us all the way down the main road to the dirt path. Tamsin, slave of Lord Rask of Trevdale. <laughs> Rolls right off the tongue. Oh, and the Toodles Pass. Hmm. I say let's skip it. Let's keep going. All right. We didn't get a hello. Why should we get a goodbye? Right. <laughs> That's interesting what you said there. I like how she phrased it, that one girl was strangling someone at the reception desk. One person was hooking up with a guy in room number 13. They all just want fresh towels, or maybe a rollaway cot for guests. So they can sleep in each other's rooms? Sure. Ooh, this is the Abbey, always snowing. What does this mean? I do like the cold. If you look right in there, it's snow. It's like contained in just this little area. It's like a little snow glow ab. It's beautiful snow, but it's <laughs> freezing just in this one little area. Except you know what a snowman would say. I don't want to freak you out, but it's raining my flesh. What is this supposed to mean? Does Shasty Mac have anything to say about this? Shasty Mac. It turns out that she does. These are from the liner notes of something called a piano in 2006. The development of Choir Girl was completely different from anything I had ever done before because for the first time ever I tracked with a drummer from the ground up. After the harpsichord and piano exploration on Pele, I was ready to experiment with the idea of the piano making friends with electronic keyboards. Andy Gray and Matt Chamberlain were developing big loops and Mark and Marcel were playing around with effects units as instruments. I had just spent a year and a half playing traditional keyboards for Pele. If I had not spent this time remembering early 20th century composers that had molded me when I was at the conservatory, I don't think Choir Girl would have been what it was as far as song shapes, chord progression, and melodic lines. I get why this is here, because we are at the Abbey. I don't know if it's called the Iona Abbey or what, but it's nice to see her honoring Pele here. It's not always that she honors Pele. I think now she honors Pele 20 years later. For the most part, she appreciates what it did for her as an artist, as a producer in her catalog, but she essentially ignores it at all times. <laughs> Whenever there's compilations or... Gets Professional Widow Remix, the end. Yeah, and maybe a silly song if there's room, if mm. she needs to fill a minute and a half. Put Zebra on there. Give the people what they want. Put Zebra on there. <laughs> There's a period of time where she's kind of ignored Pele, so it's nice to see here, right at the end of the Pele era, she's really acknowledging, like, I couldn't have come and done this without doing that. Like, without experimenting with the old harpsichord, without going back to the bloodline. 
And we do see that one project tends to lead to another. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a natural progression that's always been the case. Mm -hmm. There's this other quote on the other page. Can I read this one? Please do. From Attitude, UK, May 1998. This record makes a lot more sense than the last one. Trust me. Because it's not just an inner journey, but you do have to read the words. It's poetry. It's not, and my crotch itches. Here we go. So this is what I mean with her talking up crap about Pele. Also remember the audio clip we have of her talking to a DJ about Pele when she says, I think this is so easy to understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's immediately walking that back and talking about her crotch. Right. Well, she's basically saying, this record makes a lot more sense than the last one. Trust to me because it's not just an inner journey but you do have to read the words it's poetry it's not and my crotch itches here you go so she's saying like Pele was basically like an inner journey that you couldn't understand and everything was in there including all my crotch itches yeah I think at this point she already had a little bit of a intimacy vulnerability hangover where she was like have I said too much am I basically sharing my crotch itch with people yeah No, that's true. I think you're right. She goes on to say, This record's called From the Choir Grill Hoodle, so you don't know if I'm reporting from it or sending dispatches. It changes. Each song is an individual. It's not like the last record. That was like a journey into the underworld of her psyche. This isn't like that. Some are by the pool having a margarita. Some are up in Suite 17 just trying on each other's shoes. One is having her own fantasy on the phone downstairs. I don't know what they get up to, whether they're a troupe and they sing together or they work together, but they don't depend on each other to survive at all. Well, I think it's safe to say that the signature drink of the choir girl season is, in fact, the margarita. Uh, clearly. So I guess I'll be sticking with water because I don't like tequila. You don't like tequila? No. Well, I packed some Jose Cuervo for us. I guess that's going to go to waste. Ow! <laughs> My face. Isn't that weird that it was only snowing in that abbey? Very strange. Here we go. Back up the mountains. Mm. Let's head west. What does that sign say? Not good for launching balloons. What does that mean? What do we have here? From the Atlantic Records promo bio, this record got me through a real bad patch, but I can laugh with this record, and I can move my hips with this record, which is really good for me. It's very sensual. That's the rhythm. She loves to be sensual. It's good for swaying to the beat. Not good for launching balloons, though. No. Well, Mm -hmm. here, can you make balloon animals? Oh, you pack balloons. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) What is this? Let's make a deal. I was a Boy Scout. Mm. This mountain terrain is tricky. Oh, look what that sign says right there. Oh my God. Valley of the Duel of the Gentlemen that Aren't. Open the premiere. Let's okay. read about it. From Wall of Sound, April 1998. What made you decide to make an album with a full band at this juncture? The songs usually dictate what I'm going to do. When they started coming, I was trying to get through a bad patch. I was pregnant at the end of the Paley tour and was very, we were over the moon about it. And I miscarried it almost three months, and it was a really difficult time. So the songs started coming not long after I miscarried. The strange thing is, the love doesn't go away for this being that you've carried. You can't go back to being the person you were before you carried life, and yet you're not a mother either, and you still are connected to a force, a being. And I was trying to find ways to keep that communication going, along the way on the search, sort of walking with the undead. I would run into these songs. The one thing they kept saying to me was I had to find a deep woman's rhythm. You're sort of in no man's land as a woman, having carried life but lost it, and yet you're still alive. How did songs come from that emotion? You begin to create where you can. If you can't create physical life, you find a life force. If that's in music, that's in music. I started to find this deep, primitive rhythm, and I started to move to it. And I held hands with the sorrow, and I danced with her, and we giggled a bit. And this record really became about being alive enough to feel things, no matter what that 
is. Well, that makes everything clear. Mm. I feel we're almost there. I feel like we're getting closer. I feel like I got a handle on what the Choir Girl Hotel is. And isn't. And isn't. Climbing over these mountains on an empty stomach is the worst thing I've ever done. Why do you think most pioneers ended up eating each other? The wannabe Rockies. What does that mean? This is from 99X on the 14th of August, 1997. What's the story on the new album? Uh, Any big surprises planned? Are you going to do something different? Are you going to plug in a big fat electric guitar? What are you going to do this time? You'll see. Oh, come on, Tori. Give us a scoop. Oh, Barnes. I can't. Come on. You'll see because you know. All right. I don't want to blow my wad. (laughs) Easy. Tori. Tori Amos. Yeah, it's just, you know, one of those things where. Always provocative. No, the truth is. You don't really know how something's going to turn out. You think it's going to turn out really well, but I think if you talk it up too much and everyone's sort of disappointed, it's like, that's it? So we'll see. I'm excited. It's a whole different work than the others I've done, and I'm working with players I've never worked with before. I'm cutting with drums from day one, which is new for me. What time is it there on the tropics? Same time as it oh. was yesterday at this time. Oh, it <laughs> is the same time? 10 to 9? Yeah, but it's very, very hot. You're going to go lay out? You don't lay out, do you? What do you do at the beach? No, I've really got three weeks to finish writing this thing, and I have six songs that aren't done. But when you write, are you like in a hammock there by the water? Are you like in a little room? What do you do? My engineer set up this uh, small recording little demo area for me. A little keyboard or piano or... I have my boozy with me, and it takes up the whole space. You can hardly walk. You have to kind of crawl over the piano to get to the food and back again. And um, it takes up the whole space. But if anybody's eating, they have to eat on the piano. I can't imagine her letting anyone eat off her piano. <laughs> I think that... Keep she... your tostita rolls off my boozy. The only instance would be is if there was no other way. Either eat on the piano or have a smaller non-boozy piano. <laughs> you know, like put in a Yamaha upright. An electric Yamaha. Trash. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why was she being interviewed on the radio in the middle of August in 1997? That's pretty much a full year before the album comes out. Yeah, that's She weird. wasn't promoting anything. How did Barnes get that scoop? Did they get a wrong number and they just happened to get her? <laughs> but that, I'm glad we had that conversation to help us get over these wannabe Rockies. <laughs> Um, I think that has to do with the fact that she wanted to be a rock star. I would agree with that. Would you think that she wants to be a rock star? She kind of always wanted to be a rock star or the front woman of a band. I always say that too. I want to hear why. That's why I'm saying it because you always say it. (laughs) I don't think it's true. No. I've heard it enough. (laughs) I've always said that like Why Can't Tori Read is a sign that she wanted to lead a rock band. Not only that, but like she loved Led Zeppelin. She loved The Doors. She loved all these bands, right? I don't think she ever wanted to be alone at her piano, in my opinion, when she was in her 20s. I think she was trying to do the rock band thing because it's what she wanted to do. I agree with that. And she's always said, I'm Led Zeppelin or I'm Metallica. The only female singer-songwriter she ever referenced as an influence, especially at this point, was Joni Mitchell. Right. When she sounds a lot more like, or structurally is a lot closer to Laura Nairo in a lot of ways, just song structure and like the wildness at the piano. Agreed. It's weird that she never cites Laura Nairo. But I do feel like, yeah, because Why Can't Tori Reid failed, she had to stymie or subdue the fact that she wanted to be in a rock band. Like it just did, that part didn't work out for her. And maybe that was something she always longed for. And so this is where she comes into her own as a rock star, leading this band. Not only now is she playing with the drummer, guitar, bass, but she's the front woman and they're doing it her way and she's doing it her way. 
Yeah, I understand what you're saying for sure. And I wouldn't necessarily say that she had to hide that part of her or that desire to be the front woman of a band, but she kind of was taking this journey of reclaiming the piano that meant so much to her and was a part of her. And then she got to a place where she was able to sort of front a band or be a rock star while maintaining that authenticity. Yeah. So to be authentic and to have something to say that's authentically you, mm-hmm. right? Because before, like, Heart Attack at 23, oh man, imagine if she'd made it big. Imagine if that had been the lead single and it had hit. I would have been cool with it. You would have been? <laughs> I love that album. I and I love too. 80s music. So I do too. But I think if that had hit, we wouldn't have any of the other music that we have today. Yes. At what point did she stop learning how to pronounce the number three? Three. Because she does say three, 23. Bring your dogs. I got three. You can bring your dog. She's kind of like a little now, chick a pie, I got thry. <laughs> what I love most about this journey is the conversation. <laughs> I can't read that sign. That sign's broken. She arms stranding. She arms trading. What does the premier have to say about it? Let's see. From World of Music in May 1998, Joe, with the new songs, I have the impression that you make your heavy breathing and sighing a trademark just like David Coverdale. I'll tell you something. In the beginning, I didn't even notice that, but at some point, I looked at my technician and said to him, Oh God, this breathing is driving me crazy. But he said, Leave it, Tori. That's how you sound. It has a lot of sex appeal. I think it sounds more like the panting of a water buffalo. <laughs> Which we all know are notorious for their panting. Did you have an... E- <laughs> and their sex appeal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you have an explanation for the discrepancy between the extremely rational lyrics and emotional music? And how do they find each other? I think the interesting aspect lies in leading together music and contents. The songs develop their own character, another structure which tells a story. This time even the rhythm takes over its own life. All song structures behave on their own. It's actually like Peter and the Wolf. Did you have similar problems like with Boys for Paley and putting down the order of the tracks? No, because this album isn't a musical journey. Boys for Paley was a joyride through the underworld. Oh, and it was. But this time, there's no elevator going down. From the Choir Girl Hotel could have numerous different beginnings. This hotel doesn't have an elevator? Bet you wish you packed light, huh, Dilbo? (laughs) From the Choir Girl Hotel could have numerous different beginnings. We could, for example, start at the presidential suite and check what she is doing. After a while, you meet all girls and receive an image of who and how they are. This time around, I just needed to decide through which door you go first. Then you can explore the hotel just the way you want. I want to go back to the very beginning of this quote and just focus on the conversation about breathing. This album, Four In, is the first time that she's noticed her excessive breathing. I find that hard to believe. Really? And is there more breathing on this record than any of the three that preceded it? I think there's less breathing on this record than any of the three that preceded it, but this is the first time she's playing with a drummer live in the room. Remember we talked earlier about doing something really vulnerable in front of someone else? I think like playing, she's always just played exactly how she's played. It's between her and the recording engineer and like whatever, the technicians, and that's different. But now like there's another player invested and in the room and like assessing her performance, right? Or not quote unquote assessing her performance, but like he's there. She's like attuned to all the things that she might not have noticed before. Like, Jesus, I breathe a lot. Maybe, but that's funny, especially because when the breath does show up on this album, I think it's so important in such a moment, for example, that huge kind of inhale at the end of IIE. (sighs) 
I think that really kind of makes the song. It's so great. And then when we get to a piano, which we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but it'll be a preview. When we get to the sort of reconditioned version on a piano, she totally wipes that out, which I find to be a crime. For which you should perform a citizen's arrest on the next tour. <laughs> I shall. Add this to her list of charges along with indecent exposure and, and performing perform- an interpretive, interpretive dance, dance without, without a license. license. Stripping your own breath. Not knowing how to breathe. Did you have similar problems like this with Boys for Pele and putting down the order of the tracks? No, because this album isn't a musical journey. I don't find that to be entirely true. So she's saying that basically you can start from any point in this album and enjoy it in any order. So she's saying she just decided which door you go through first. So you play Spark first, but then you can enjoy it in any order you want. She says, then you can explore the hotel just the way you want. I don't find that to be true. Well, we can try it for the rest of the road trip. You want to put it on shuffle? No. I like it in one of two ways. Disc order or booklet order. I don't know. You pick. I'm so accustomed to the disc order. Let's try the booklet order just to be different. Okay. Booklet order is Pandora's Aquarium, Liquid Diamonds, Northern Lad, IIE, Spark, Black Dove, January, Jackie Strength, Hotel, She's Your Cocaina, Raspberry Swirl, Cruel, and Playboy Mommy. And of course, if you head over to Torador Spotify, you can find our playlist there of Choir Girl Hotel in booklet order. Pandora. Dilbo. Samwise Ganji. Look at that sign. Underworld. You know, <laughs> are we actually just walking in circles now? How I feel the like hell we walked we backwards. backwards. I do too. <laughs> walked backwards two years. Do you see any horses anywhere? Zebras? God. No. Zebras? Any four-legged animals whatsoever? Cow, Jesus. pig. I mean, I guess we could do this. We know our way around an underworld. Let's see what Shasty Mac has to say about Shasty this. Shasty Mac. That event was the seed of the new album. The loss of her baby was what Tori calls the egg of her music. People had a very hard time talking to me about what had happened, and I had a hard time talking about it. But the song seemed to have such an easy time talking to me, and I began to feel the freedom of the music. Each song would show me a certain side of herself because of what I was going through. So a song like Cruel came to me out of anger. Shijir Kokain and Ayayi came out of a sense of loss and sacrifice. And other songs celebrated the fact that I had found a new appreciation for life through this loss. And here it says from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, October 8th, 1998. I had just finished Boys for Pele and I was pregnant. It was going to be a whole downtime for me. I was really into having the experience as a mom and we miscarried at about three months and it was quite a shock for us. I think we got really attached to the spirit of the baby and when we lost when she passed away it was very difficult for us i think i turned to the rhythm because as a woman i was having a hard time finding my place it's hard to go back to being the person you were before you held life people keep saying motherhood changes you and for me non-motherhood changed me so i learned a lot from the spirit who has never been in the physical form and i'll never know her in that form she might already be in physical form as somebody else's daughter, and yet she has taught me so much that I can't even... I've known people in the physical form who haven't taught me as much as she has. I see why these are here in the underworld. It's a very dark time. I mean, I understand, you know, that little clip we found earlier where she said that she couldn't even get out of bed to go to the kitchen. Like, yeah. It was hard to even do that. Do you think she meant physically or emotionally in that particular instance? Both. Both. Yeah, yeah I do. Emotionally. Being gutted and stapled to your despair, it's a huge gift to have music come to you i think to imagine being so in grief to have to be hearing the songs and like having being compelled to go to piano and create something 
And, you know, they always say that artists work better in, through grief. You know, a lot of times artists feel like without the grief or without the pain, they might not be able to create something, mm. you know, meaningful. But it's also a healing tool. And, like, I can't imagine having to heal from something so devastating without turning to your art form, the thing that has guided you since you were a child. Would you say that it's more accurate to say that that kind of experience sort of inspires inspiration, but to actually be productive and create something out of it? You can't be in that place because otherwise you're probably just never going to be able to do the work, so to speak. Yeah, and I think that's the gift. The linear nature of having to complete the thought is the gift because you get the inspiration and you're so compelled and propelled by the inspiration that you have to pull out of your cycle. And that's why it becomes a healing tool. Itself is healing you. You know what I mean? I do. And no better time to find peace than in this lush, beautiful valley, this beautiful greenery. Have you ever seen such greens and blues? What's that sign say? Beanie's Field. Oh, I'm going to read this stone plaque. It says, there's a deep love on this record. This is not a victim's record. It deals with sadness, but it's a passionate record. Passionate for life, for the life force, and a respect for the miracle of life. Beanie was a wise lady. I feel that nice breeze in the air. Hmm. Did you feel splash? A little misty. Is it raining? Oh, there's a fountain. Well, yeah. It turns out we're standing right on top of a fountain. <laughs> what? I didn't even notice. I was so transfixed by the blues and greens in Beanie's Field. I do love a water feature, though. Oh, what is this? Whose fountain is this? Who put this here? Who the hell is Davina? Davina. Open the premiere and see what Shasty Mac has to say. All right, from the Phoenix Times on September 24th, 1998. Aha, Amos said she spent a great deal of time on the water in South Florida before writing songs for Choir Girl. And the push and pull of tides is certainly evident in her preoccupation with rhythm, which she also says was inspired by a studio first. We cut the album live with a drummer, which I've never done. Normally I cut live piano vocals and everything is then built around that performance, whereas Choir Girl was about piano vocal synth in one room cut live with the drummer in the other room. And that drummer wasn't just any old session guy, it was Matt Chamberlain, most recently of Critters Buggin', and formerly drummer for the spacey neo-hippie outfit Edie Brickell and New Bohemians. Having created her rhythms with the piano and the push and pull of the breath for so long, Amos says the decision to play with Chamberlain wasn't made lightly. Ironically, it was Amos's former partner Ross who brought the two together. After the miscarriage, when I'd begun writing, I put it out there to Eric, I'm kind of open to a drummer, and he said, well, I found him. And Matt came out, and within five minutes of us playing together, we just started giggling hysterically, going, this is fun. She remembers with a laugh. If you have the wrong drummer, the whole thing fails. Most drummers can't keep time, but he was always really aware of what the keyboards were doing because he felt the songs, knew that medium so well, because that's what I've been doing for 32 and a half years of my life. So that's how I define everything. Despite the instant synergy, Amos says recording Choir Girl Hotel didn't always go smoothly. We would wait for days sometimes for the muse to show up just going, she's not here. There's just no passion in the room, she says with dead seriousness. We would all know you just feel it. You know, when the high heels walk through the room, you go, whoa, you just see the leg, you see this ethereal leg stick itself in the studio and everyone goes, oop, red light. Well, that fountain sprayed me. I get it. That quote is like a fountain of wisdom, spraying us with knowledge. Say it, don't spray it. What are those things? Ballerinas? Ballerinas? There's hundreds of them. Oh, they're so beautiful. Listen to that music. It's so beautiful. They don't appear to be wearing shoes, though. 
which is strange. Yeah. Ballerinas that just wander around shoeless? I guess there's not going to be a lot of work on point, which is disappointing because when I get a ballerina, that's what I want. Toe work. I want point. <laughs> so it looks like the ballerinas are performing for us. Oh, she just handed me a note. Tour section. Oh. Turn to the tour section and the plumber. <gasps> Another audio clip embedded in the book. The only thing that there are more of than mutes in Tordor are tape recorders. It's an audio clip embedded in the book. It's different. <laughs> See? Swipe right. I got pregnant and it was the most wonderful thing. It was a surprise, but I wanted to be a mom more than anything else. recently uh, experienced a miscarriage. Her whole album is based on it. You know, this is this is a very traumatic thing. When I miscarried, I think, you know, we were heartbroken. But I still felt the spirit of this being. And the love doesn't go away. You know, I still feel her with me. Then again, she's had great things happen recently. She recently got married to her sound engineer. From the Choir Girl Hotel, she did while she was in a relationship with her husband now, Mark Cawley. And musically, it's a lot different because it's the first time she had a band. It's more leaning towards like rock than just the girl with the piano image. This new album is definitely uh, the next evolution for Tori. The band is just bringing a new intensity to the music. It's a whole new level. Let's go. Definitely a plugged show. We call it plugged, and it's you know hopefully it's buckle your seatbelt time. All the songs from the other records too. You know they they looked at me getting a bit jealous, saying you know. Why can't I have a big bottom beat on me? I've waited all these years. And so we've taken some of these songs and they have a whole new arrangement. Ooh, another one. Swipe right again. Speaking of your live show, we should talk a little bit about that. You chose not to use a band once again. Um, I just wonder... After the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just wonder how. You know, you have to have this certain level of confidence and you seem to have that level of confidence, by the way, but, uh... Um, if, if I'm going to do a band scene, it has to be really, really, really right. There, there, it changes the whole intimacy level. It's not like I'm in your living room anymore. Albeit, maybe a very big living room, but still, it's very different when it's just you and me. Because then, I'm, it's between us. And I feel like right now, if I had five people walk on stage, that it would feel a bit like, who are they? It would be a little bit of an intrusion because of the emotional level. And it's very important that the audience is able, you know, it should be your time to be anything you want sitting in your chair. You should call your monsters forth. You should call all those different sides of yourself. And, and, and you don't feel like weird. I mean, I should be like family now for some people, so that it's, I have no judgment. My God, if you see what I'm bringing every night, you, you will think twice about stuff you can bring. 
But it is, could it happen one day, though? Could it happen one day that you do a tour with a man? Yeah, it could happen. It's just that I don't do it because it's like, well, that's what everybody does. I don't really feel like I necessarily need one. Playing live is about a different experience than a CD, or why do it? The CDs are not, I don't duplicate them live. It's about showing people where the songs came from first you know, where they were born. So you see the inception of a song before it became everything else, because everything starts from the piano first. Well, how quickly that all changed. <laughs> now it's like, give me a band. Give me a band, I need it. And now it's like, give me a band again. Mm-hmm. You want to read this from the Atlantic Records press release, March 30th, 1998? Here we go. To herald the arrival of From the Choir Girl Hotel, Tori is embarking on a special sneak preview 98 plugged of North American clubs. The 12 city cross country itinerary will open at the Chili Pepper in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on Saturday, April 18th, and wrap up two and a half weeks later on May 6th at the El Rey Theater in Los Angeles, except it didn't. The rare club shows will mark the premiere performances of From the Choir Girl Hotel. These plug dates will also mark Tori's first ever tour with a full band, featuring longtime collaborator Steve Caton on guitar, Matt Chamberlain on drums, and John Evans on bass, with Tori herself on vocals and keyboards. Following the Sneak Preview 98 itinerary, Tori will embark on an extensive European itinerary before returning to the U.S. this summer for a major cross-country trek. While anticipation of the upcoming club dates is already running at fever pitch among Tori's legion of fans, by taking a full-plugged band out on the road and enlarging the sonic scope of her live work, she is bringing the Tori concert experience into a whole new realm. Tickets to all sneak preview shows will be sold through a box office voucher system only, with a maximum of two tickets sold to each person. There will be no ticket outlet or charge by phone sales for any of the 12 performances. Details regarding ticket sales will be announced by local radio and or print outlets in each city. On the internet front, every performance of Tori's plugged club tour will be specially documented within Tori's official website, www.tori.com, which will feature a full report on each concert, along with still photos live song clips, and interviews. In addition, Tori will be personally responding to video email messages submitted by fans across North America via 3Com's Big Picture Technology. Named after her first single. A new set of Tori's email responses will be posted each day on the Tori.com site, which is being officially relaunched on April 10th. Amos's April 30th concert at the Park West in Chicago is set for a nationally syndicated live album network radio broadcast and a multi-tiered webcast highlighted by a three-camera real video shoot. Do you remember any of that? No. I remember the press release, and I think I read that af- like long after, like years later, right? I feel like I read that after, but I don't recall any of that extra stuff. No, I don't I, recall her website being maintained that way and updated with new content daily. for each show. Because if it had been, I would have been all over it. Right. If it had been going on. I'm Same here, because I wasn't able to do the tour, the sneak peek tour, I mean the preview tour, and I was very upset about it. I just feel like I would have been absorbing the website because I was absorbing the news at the time, you know. I was very actively involved in the Doremus news community. Yeah, and I do remember a live webcast because we've talked about it. And my yeah. memory was that it was the first show at the Chili mm-hmm. Pepper, but mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was it could Chicago. Have been Chicago. Yeah, that's just interesting to me that if she did do that or she did do email video responses, wouldn't it be nice to see those again? Remember when they said whatever goes on the internet would stay forever? 
They lied. They lied. Nothing but dead links. Mm. I don't think there was, though. I don't recall there being a daily email response video from Tori Moose. No. But that would have been very cutting edge at the time to it have would have such been. a dynamic, interactive website where she was posting new content. Mm-hmm. And she was always super cutting edge. Like, not only just the Caudalite Sneeze single being offered online first, but also when the Professional Widow video rolled out, it was streamed across cutting edge, real video technology. It was like the first thing that you could stream in that format. So she was always kind of like working with new media. Did we ever even get like an official Tory screensaver or wallpaper? I'm sure we did. I don't know that we did. That's okay, what every fine. website used to offer back then, like to promote a movie or whatever. It's like download the Matrix screensaver. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. This is from Billboard, April 4th, 1998. Tickets to the sneak preview shows. Ugh, don't get me started on the tickets to the sneak preview shows. Totally. You had to go to the box office. Did you have to do that? Oh my God, I was furious with the whole experience. Why? It all worked out, but it was pretty terrible. Yeah. Tickets to the sneak preview shows will be available only through the internet or radio station giveaways. As Amos puts it, the preview tour will be for the kids that stand in line, not for the schmooze crowd. Amos says she's particularly excited by the club tour, which will present her in a new light to fans who are accustomed to seeing her in more stripped-down settings. I'm ready to bring all the records together live and play some of the old music too, now live in this way. Following the club engagements, Amos will begin a two-year world tour, a two-year world tour in the UK that will hit various, they must mean two months, June and July. They must have meant two months. I don't know. Maybe initially the tour was meant to go from 1998 into 99. No. Just like the way they said Do Drop In was initially supposed to go into 1997. Not two years, though. Following the club engagements, Amos will begin a two-year world tour in the UK that will hit various points in Europe throughout the spring. Then she'll play the U.S. during the summer shed season. <laughs> the summer shed season. Shay summer shed season. Shay shimak. Um, you want to read this quote from WHFS on April 10th, 1998? Johnny says, we're going to do your special ticket plan. Do you like this plan? I think it's cool. A couple of times I've read on this, there's the website that's basically known as The Dent. And if anyone's paid attention to it, they probably would have figured out what to do this evening. Because it's sort of worked basically the same in different cities. And most of the time gone really smoothly. That's what we're trying. I mean, we're trying to make it so that it's not about the scalpers and it's not about the schmooze heads in the music industry. And I've been quite ruthless about it because um, it's really about the people who love the music and want to be there for the music. And it is a sneak preview. The band, we've just been rehearsing and I'm a little nervous and we need an intimate setting. So that's why we picked the small clubs. And uh, we really wanted the people that, you know, that care about the stuff to be there. Well, I think she managed to accomplish that. The people who wanted to be there, meaning us, could barely get tickets what was your ticket experience like (laughs) it was ridiculous i don't remember exactly how like it might have been posted accidentally on k-rock's website for like two seconds and someone saw it and so we knew where the on sale was going to be because they weren't going to announce it till the day of it was going on sale on a saturday and was going to be you know announced at like nine o'clock and then on sale at 10 or something crazy so we found out that it was going to be at the greek theater box office the night before and we were like well obviously we're going to go there now and not tomorrow morning and we're just going to camp out and be the first people in line. Little did we know that Griffith Park closes and you can't actually like just sit there mm-hmm. at the box office. Mm-hmm. So we messed around. We went to Denny's. We kept ourselves busy all night. It actually went at dawn. 
to Griffith Park so we could be the first ones in. I think it started to rain. We sat there all day. I got terribly sick. And then we found out that they were giving out wristbands and it didn't matter what time we had gotten there. And we got crappy, crappy wristbands way back in line. Mm. And we were furious and exhausted. So furious, in fact, that Val called Arthur Spivak directly. (laughs) Uh, Why she had his number, I don't remember. Maybe from winning the date with Tori thing where she went to Jay Leno and Acapulco and everything. And she left him an angry voicemail like this isn't fair we've been here and we're she did? fans and we're not getting tickets yeah wow. she did but it actually all worked out and the line just kept going up to the box office the box office and sure enough we each got our two tickets and we were like oh we got all worked up over nothing <laughs> oh it's a ga show i could just come early on the day of the show but it was a long and very stressful experience so well you know my experience was neither long nor stressful because she did not perform in las cruces New Mexico. Mm. Isn't that horrifying? God forbid you go to her. I couldn't. <laughs> How long does it take to drive from Las Cruces to LA? 12 hours. 12? Yes. No. I was a child. No. My mom would not have let me driven that far. <laughs> anyway, more about touring. This is from CFNY Toronto, April 28, 1998. Kim says, well, as you may have heard, Tori Miss is doing something a little bit different on this record and this tour, and that she's touring with the band. This is the first time ever, and certainly, although the piano is the most prominent instrument in From the Choir Girl Hotel, you do hear percussion in there, drums are there, you can hear these other elements. So during our discussion with Tori this afternoon, I asked her at what point in the writing and recording process did the idea of working with a band occur to her? And Tori Amos said, As I was writing, I began to understand that the songs themselves were pretty adamant that this was just not um, instruments being put around the piano it had to be fully integrated there had to be a tension between the instruments and a relationship the piano really kind of you know sat me down and said i am capable of playing with other players i am capable of having to hold my own and i knew we'd really have to practice hard to play with the caliber of players i wanted to play with but there's no there's nothing that gets you off more as a musician than playing with people you respect you know there's no drug that gives you that there's nothing It's just like, I can't wait to play with them tonight. I mean, I just wait till we get through the day so that at 9 or 10, we take to the stage. And these guys, I just look at them and I say, wow, I'm so fortunate to be with these magical men. And I'm sure there's been a lot of complications that ensue in terms of like just sort of working things out, like the back catalog, for instance. Yeah, it's tricky because certain ones don't want to come right now. I mean, Crucify, she's really holding back saying, I want to wait and see what you do with the others before I come. (laughs) But the others stepped up to the plate. They were much more of, okay, we've never had an arrangement, so let's not be safe about this. My intention to bring a band on the road is not um, to try and satisfy a concept that I needed a drummer or to make this like adult contemporary, let the people tap their feet and everything's okay. You know, I'm a Zeppelin girl, and you know I come from, if you're going to bring a band on the road, you know, I'm not um, trying to do a PC version of female singer-songwriter here. That isn't my interest. I'm really into what each song needs. Precious Things needs a whole different read than putting the damage on. And they stepped up to the plate and said, we want to come. Horses wanted to come. Waitress wanted to come. Tear your hand wanted to come. They're kind of letting us experiment before the others step up. And God wanted to come, so she's along. But it was, uh, it kind of threw me off just going, you know, I have to um, give the players their freedom and I have to let the songs lead us a little bit bit i love like the intimate details of like how she's crafting these set lists what really wanted to like was itching to be with the band and to get some bass and some drums mm. yeah what do you think about her specifically calling out crucify because we've talked about 
that for the most part, Crucify shows up at the first show of every mm-hmm. tour, mm-hmm. and then it seems to be, mm-hmm. if not a comfort song for her, something that sort of is a mission statement mm-hmm. of sorts and mm-hmm. reminds her of what she does well and what she wants it's to accomplish. It's funny that she had already played Crucify with the band on the Leno show. So like maybe it wasn't what she wanted it to do or wanted it to be. That was a little adult contemporary safe, right? As opposed to like what she's trying to do now. So maybe that song just didn't fit in. Right. And it was trying to kind of more approximate the album and it mm-hmm. was just kind of session musicians mm-hmm. So maybe to her it felt kind of lifeless or I don't know. Yeah, like or just out of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that also leads me to believe that she holds Crucify kind of dear. Mm-hmm. And she was like, wait, 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 let's see what happens. Let's mm-hmm. not rush to, you know, give Crucify a band arrangement. Let's sort of test the waters with some other songs first. And it would be so easy, one would think, to play or arrange with the band because it's one of a few songs on Little Earthquakes That's that ha- had a fully yeah. fleshed out band yeah, arrangement. Exactly. Yeah, so... From the Detroit Free Press, April 28, 1998. I'm trying to be healthy because this tour is pretty demanding, says Amos, whose sets are marked by a little sultriness, swagger, and sweat, sometimes all at once. I don't want to embarrass myself and end up with an oxygen tank by the side of the piano. While she concedes her solo shows often drained her, truth is I'd be ready to have a cardiac. She insists she didn't add a band to slough off any work. I have to play a synth on my right, a piano on my left, so I sort of look like an octopus that ate too many nachos, says Amos, who will hit the road for a full-fledged tour this summer. When I played alone, I had to be drums and bass. Now there's a drummer and bass player, which means I don't have to do that job anymore. But you can't pretend to the audience that you're not inspired to improve. With drummer Matt Chamberlain, guitarist Steve Caton with a K, and bassist John Evans, Amos has scored solid reviews so far on her 12-city sprint, even if she's still traipsing that fine line between excited and nervous. I'm definitely excited, she says, but if my shoes are yellow, don't tell anyone. What do you think she means? Peeing on her feet? A little bit. I'm peeing on my feet. Were there endurance problems in the past? If you go without training, you hurt your voice, or you give bad performances because you're not accurate anymore. It's the precision that takes the energy. If I were just singing, it wouldn't take one-tenth of what it's taking, but I wanted to be able to keep up with the other players. I'm not bitching about it, but I still have two jobs on stage. Everyone else here doing one job. Me, two. (laughs) I don't want to complain, but I'm doing the job of two people. Why this tour of small clubs? More than anything, the sneak preview is just what that is. It's like the audience is watching us sort it all out. We haven't quite sorted it out yet. That's why I wanted to do it in really small clubs where it's more intimate. People are a lot more not so mean and nasty. I wanted to really feel like we were in their living room, like some local band that's trying to figure it out. You know, friends playing in front of friends. They're some of the best musicians. You dream of this when you're a little kid. You wish you could play with people that you can marvel at, and I'm lucky enough to have that opportunity. I'm also hearing some of the old songs transform. I'm doing songs from the other records, like a trance version of Horses, which is true. It was kind of trancy. The crew is very excited. I've never seen them so chipper. They're so happy. They love all the rhythm, all the racket. Hopefully it's racket that makes sense because it doesn't take much to just be loud. It's funny because one of the guys on the crew, he hasn't been with me since the Pink Tour and has since done Oasis and some other bands. He walked in yesterday, flew in from England, and just sat down with his jaw hanging open. That's a high compliment. Better than Oasis. That's what she's saying. I'm better Mm. than Oasis. This is from the Chicago Tribune, May 17th, 1998. This is the thing with sorrow sometimes. You often don't realize you're hanging 10 with sorrow on this big wave, and it's this amazing thing you can ride. <gasps> we think this is the birth of Hang oh, 10, honey. Oh, I'm hanging 10 She's with on her sorrow. sorrow surfboard. 
Oh, interesting. Hang mm. ten, honey. You got to roll with it, baby. Is that what she's? That's kind of what she's saying. Hunty, yeah. Yeah. Is it arduous for you bringing some of these experiences up night after night at your concerts? You cross that line into what is true transmutation. Sorrow doesn't become this thing that you don't want to invite at your party. Happiness is not only about giggling. It can be true joy when you're not afraid to go to any emotional place. You have an all-access card. You can't sit here and tell me that you've never been on a side that now makes you go, ooh, I wouldn't make that choice now. I know I've done things that I wouldn't do now. I know in past lives I've murdered and murdered, and I might have justified it every time. People murder and they rape, and I don't mean just in the physical sense. They devour one another emotionally. I've done it. I do it. None of us have any clean hands here, but the point isn't that we do it. The point is realizing that none of us are on the good side all the time, and none of us are on the bad side all the time. We're all together, and the shows are really about that to me. Hmm. This is a pretty on-brand quote. I think she's always sort of discussed you can't have the light without the dark. You can't know true joy until you've had sorrow. And it's true. If you're living, you know, sort of the entire spectrum of the human experience. Having just been through the underworld with her for two and a half years, as you have as well, there aren't any quotes really that are about anything other than rhythm and walking with sorrow and there aren't any of those esoteric deeper statements like in Pele. That's true and in fact this sort of reference to um, past lives Mm -hmm. is as much in that direction as she's gone so So far far, during this press cycle. Yeah and we're already here at the ballerina's shoeless place. Yeah and the most consistent through line along with what you just offered is sort of this respect for life and the life force on this album so... That ballerina's bringing you something. What could it be? What is it, David? It appears to be a tape recorder. Oh. I'm assuming ma'am. She shook her head yes. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, she danced away. Let's press play on that tape recorder. (laughs) There's nothing that makes you feel better inside than a love or communicating. I mean, sometimes it gets quite fiery on stage. That's when it really becomes kismet those moments of um, freedom, freedom to express yourself. From TV Guide Online Chat, August 5th, 1998, Arcanum77 says, How do you feel about playing with a band in your tour? Do you like it more than when it was just yourself and your piano? And Tori says, Well, you can't compare them, Arcanum77. It's such a different experience. They are both valid. These musicians are so talented that it's a challenge for me to play with them. It's always a dream to play with people who are good enough to inspire you and who you hope to keep up with. Every night, we change what we play and we don't look at the clocks. That's not the goal at all. At Madison Square Garden, we looked at each other and said, savor every second because it will be over all too fast. We held gold dust in our hands, Mm. some might say. Then we'll understand. I have to imagine, though, aside from the experience of playing with a band, she was also playing these huge venues, arenas in some cases, that, you know, nothing like she'd ever played before. So that whole era must have just seemed so exciting and so... Wild. Big and wild, yeah. Yeah. And to try to keep that intimacy, too, that's got to be a challenge. And it was big and wild. The meet and greets were big and wild. And a lot of these arena shows had GA floors. So there was essentially a mosh pit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a Tori Amos concert. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. Yeah. There was half the crowd was moshing. Half the crowd was shushing the moshers. Half the crowd was crying in wings. Oh, everyone was wearing wings. (laughs) This is from the Chicago Sun-Times, 24th of September, 1998. 
You can achieve a Dionysian frenzy that wouldn't be possible in a small theater. It's a matter of changing your goals. Trying to make an arena intimate, that's like trying to make an elephant fit into your purse. But she did it. She fit that elephant in that purse. Mm. Oh no. The ballerina's dancing back to you. I think she wants her tape recorder back. Oh, wait. Nope. She's flipping the tape. Oh. oh. She's pressing play. There's a side too. I mean, one woman, two pianos, but you play at the same time simultaneously. That blew me away last night to see you sitting there with one hand on the grand piano and then the other on the electronic version thereof. There must be very few people who can do that. I've been doing it a long, long time. And the reason that I began to do it was it seemed to me that the patterns that you make, if you think about it, as a, in your left hand, they're bass patterns. So when you take those patterns in the bass and you put them in the upper register, so I'm playing the upper end of the piano mm -hmm. with my left hand, and then my right hand, which is more melodic, is playing the mid-range, then you're creating a combination of notes and patterns together that are unique, um, and they're responding differently in each song. But that's, that's what I kind of needed as a musician to begin to see the possibilities of of how music, how instruments can talk to each other. Well, that was informative. What did it inform you of? Just another piece of the puzzle. It didn't occur to me that when she is playing with her left hand on the piano, of course she's playing bass notes, but she's playing them higher in a higher range, and that's, that's what makes it completely unique for her, because most people obviously play the bass notes at the lower end of the keyboard. I think that playing two keyboards at one time is something that she started to do more and more over the years and it's kind of a, a relatively recent thing in terms of how often she does it. I feel like on Plugged, when she first unveiled it, it was almost <laughs> like when Michael Jackson did the moonwalk for the first mm -hmm. time. We were yep. like, what? Because it was four tours in and it's kind of amazing that she hadn't figured out a way to do that mm -hmm. already. But when she did it during Plugged, it was rare. Like maybe for a couple sections of IIE or Cruel or something, but she didn't do it in every song. Right. Um, she kind of pulled it out and it was a real showstopper. And mm -hmm. more and more she started to do it. But I think that's been a function of playing solo. Yeah. And using that as a way to fill space and also sort of add variety to her sound. So. Yeah. I agree. There's a lot of a lot that she can accomplish when she's got the keyboard on the right, mm -hmm. along with the piano. It's funny because if you look at the first tour, she just sat at a piano. The second tour, she stood up and walked over to the prepared piano. The third tour, she's like, eh, I'm just going to sit, but I'm going to swing around to the harpsichord on Cotolite's knees. Yeah. And now she's just like doing it both. Again, a natural and progression. You're right. And Strange Little Girls was kind of like a combination of all of them. She walked over yeah, for she one song to a different <laughs> keyboard. Yeah. What, what, what song was that? Tallulah? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah it depends. Yeah. Cruel. Playboy Mommy. Crucify, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God, she loves a trick. She loves a show trick, a hat and trick. And she started that show trapped in a box. So it really was like a combination of everything she had done up until that point. Trapped in a trunk? Trapped in a trunk, yes. She was trapped in a trunk. Right. But in terms of how she actually executed that... I imagine they just locked her in a broom closet. But This is a lovely little area. I hate to interrupt you, but this is its just beautiful buttercups mm. and bones. Yeah. What is the name of this place? Do you see uh, a sign? Look for a sign. I do. Uh, right here. Yeah. Look at this. Buttercup Bone Orchard. Uh, go to the book. Check uh, the index. All right. B. Mm -hmm. Buttercup. Under, under B. Sure. Busendorfer. But here we go. Buttercup. Page 47. This is from Visions, May 1998. 
The songs come and visit me. When I sit down and try to write something, they shy away from coming to me. This situation has no magic at all. I feel it when the girls come at me. I call them the girls. I'm a woman, but they can be as old as they want. Some of them are 3,000 years old. Whoa. Others have only been there for three minutes. So the buttercups are the young ones and the bones are the old ones? Perhaps. I'm just trying to make sense here of this journey that we're on through <laughs> Tordor. Uh, they just show up. They don't fit in any of the known connections. They have their own rules and constantly change their form. I often have the feeling as if my function were merely to translate them. And because I practice my creativity with them, I have to be open to them every single moment. You sit there and suddenly you feel the presence of something. And at times, it reminds me of the stories of people who've had visions of ghosts. They just feel it. That's all very nice, but songwriting also involves handicraft, invested time. What actually happens? Does she start with a melody, the lyrics, or a rhythm? Is the beginning a visual image, or does she first think of an object she wants to sing about? It's different every time. The development of my songs has a lot to do with patience. You try to bring something ethereal in a physical context. There's no recipe for that. She let a studio be arranged in an old barn in Cornwall, which she and her songs then filled with life. This process is, for Tori Amos, as meaningful as the crossing of the border between a real and a magical space. Sometimes this secret, this magic, is already there in the room when you enter it. Sometimes you have to create it yourself. Then you only have the feeling, the room sounds good, you just have to make it reflect. Sometimes you feel a strange whirling, or you have the feeling the walls are thin veils. Energy that comes from completely different directions. There are also situations when you feel that you should immediately leave a room because you can't get any air. The magic meets the real. Mm. The buttercups meet the bones. <laughs> I love the pragmatism of this writer who's like, that's all very nice, Tori. That's but great. give me straight answers. Cut the bullshit. How Does do you actually write a song? <laughs> Well, we've wandered through the Buttercup Boneyard, and I have to tell you, it is very lovely. I, I picked feel... a bunch of buttercups for you. Oh, thank you. Put them in your bag okay. with everything else you brought. I'm not carrying everything. I got the fire. That's enough. <laughs> I haven't heard you offer to help me carry this bag. Um, ever since we've hit Bean's Field, I felt a peace come over me. Mm -hmm. What about you? Like a little bit of a weight has been lifted. Oh. Although the bag seems to be getting heavier. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how long we've been carrying yeah. it. This is a two-day journey. God, it sure is. God. Looky over there. Oh. oh, my God. Is that a casino? It looks like. Oh, my God. Read the sign. The Nautical Nuns Casino. Oh. Mm. I love that, the theme. That explains all these ladies in habits. Underwater nuns wearing scuba tanks. I've never seen so many nuns in scuba gear. Oh, hello. Hello, sisters. Hello. Oh. Oh, they're, look at them. They're trying to talk, but we can't hear them through okay. the scuba masks. Take out your regulator. No, this is their area. They can live as they wish. All right, fine. That one has a big pile of chips. Should we play something? Yeah. What do you like to play when you gamble? If I gamble, I play either video poker or slot machines. Uh, I don't usually play cards because I'm intimidated by the men, the macho men in the mustaches and cigars playing cards for high stakes. You love a macho man with a mustache. I sure do, but I don't want to play cards against them. I feel like that's a good opening. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm some big, <laughs> Can strong man me? teach me how to play cards. I'm Ooh. just a little lady. <laughs> Must be beginner's luck. <laughs> Um, I seem to have dropped a chip down my pants. <laughs> Could I was someone go help shirt. me? <laughs> what does the book have to say about this? From Yahoo Online Chat on April 13th, 1998. I wanted a space for these girls, metaphorically, to be in. There like will a be casino. Oh. oh, well, maybe. Let's read on. There will be a map as part of the artwork. 
It gives you a taste of the world they were taking me into when they came to visit me. These songs seemed much more independent than others on the other records. Not that being dependent is a negative thing for a song. It just means when the songs are dependent, you have to be careful how you order the work. This work I saw much more as girls that hang out together, kind of like they're in a singing group, but they have their own solar systems that revolve around them uniquely. So I put them in their own hotel, and they let me visit them sometimes, but they're extremely independent even of me. Look at this, from Ur, April 18th, 1998. The inside cover of From the Choir Girl Hotel will portray a map of some mysterious mystical world. That drawing will map the scenery of the songs. My girls make up the group. They are mutually connected. They belong in a fixed part of the universe. This is their territory, their hotel. Look, turn the page. Hmm, there's a map. And by that you mean there has been a map this entire time. My god, there's been a map this whole time. Are you freaking kidding me, Samwise Ganjee? There's an OG's tower, Mr. Grumpy's maze. Yeah, this is all ringing a bell. Oh my god. Pudding Dungeon. I wish the mute cocaine lip gloss stand man would have said something. Well, he was frantically gesturing as we walked away. I suppose. It's our fault for walking away so quickly. Well, but we could have been a lot more efficient about we this. Could have, we should have just taken low road up to the dirt path, down through the boneyard, and here we are. Well. Oh, my God. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, no use crying over spilled milk. Here we are. Here we are. What else does the book have to say about the nautical casino? There's one extra thing that the CD has that most others don't. A map. Carefully drawn in a spidery hand, the chart suggests a physical landscape to accompany the emotional terrain Amos delineates so well in song. I'm just really embarrassed right now. Like, this is, it's not even just, it's like a pullout map. It's like a centerfold. How could we have missed this? Mm. It's like the only illustration in this whole book. Well, to be fair, we didn't have much interest in a centerfold, but... The style of the illustration seems familiar to me, but it wasn't until I started reading Tolkien's The Hobbit that I realized where I'd seen it, or something very much like it before. On the inside back cover of that fantasy classic, you'll find a similar piece of cartography. I've never heard of that. Have you heard of that book? I haven't heard of that. Hmm. Amos seems to have appropriated the conical trees, meandering rivers, and craggy mountains of Tolkien's Wilderland for her own nameless territory. I don't know who that is. Uh, Tolkien, Quire Gwile, Tolkien, Tolkien... The singer laughs when I raise the comparison. Yes, I was a big Ring Trilogy follower, she says, on the line from the Missouri hotel room. But Tolkien would never have decorated his maps with such cryptic notations as Valley of the Duel of the Gentlemen That Aren't, Hum of the Amazing Echoplex Shrine, Ballerinas That Just Wander Around Endlessly Shoeless. I remember them. Do you remember them? They were very lovely. And the Cocaine Lip Gloss Sale Stand. Amos may have borrowed her map-making style from the inventor of Middle-earth, but her sense of humor and her cartography myths are all her own. Mm, and we all know what it's like to have a sense of humor that no one else thinks is funny. <laughs> I don't. I'll read this. From Ur, April 18th, 1998. Let's talk about that title. From the Choir Girl Hotel, I know you like to describe your songs as girls, so metaphorically speaking, the hotel could refer to you... Maybe. And maybe not. The inside cover will portray a map of some mysterious mystical world. That drawing will map the scenery of the songs. My girls make up a group. They are mutually connected. They belong in a fixed part of the universe. This is their territory. More strongly, they run the place. The group. 
the choir knows no age limit. Their origin also doesn't matter, yet every girl is an individual. A couple of them are sitting on the edge of the pool with margaritas in their hands. Another one works with reception and has a telephone fetish. And maybe there's a lady in her room just knitting or so. This is their territory. It's very important that this own identity comes up to the fore on this album. Why do you think during this era it was so important for Tori to push this narrative of the songs being individuals that weren't so interconnected? I think it comes from her, like what you'd said earlier, which is oversharing shame. Pele being so interconnected. It was a journey. That was the whole thing about this. And now she's like saying, no, I can also just make a rock album. She had said, there was a quote I remember where she said, every great rock album has 12 tracks. And that's why her album's going to have 12 tracks. Do you remember that quote? Mm -hmm. And we'll find it. But I think she really wanted, with this band in tow, wanted to create a really kick-ass rock album. And it's important that they're not, it's not mired down in the heaviness of a journey. It's not, it's just like, classic rock songs Mm. on a rock album. I think that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because in that regard, the songwriting and the the sound, I guess, is more straightforward rock, but she's also kind of mystifying the process more than she has even in the past Mm -hmm. during this era with the kind of way she describes that they come to her as entities. She's kind of peppered that in before, but she's really going for it whole hog at this point. And I'm wondering if that's also sort of informed by the circumstances that inspired this album that she wasn't looking for, um, obviously. She didn't know where the inspiration for her next project was going to come from. And she's talked about how, in this case, she wasn't able to create human life, but she was able to create songs instead. So do you think that's maybe why she's sort of talking to them more as individuals and like song children, if Mm. you will? Um, because that's where her creativity went at this point, as opposed to a physical being. That's interesting that they that they are her daughters, that they have identities as a juxtaposition for what she was not able to create. Yeah, a lot of people will always say, especially around this time, '98, where it's like Tori always bears her soul and she shares her own personal trauma for you know the healing and benefit of others and making music. Right? You've heard that many times. Uh-huh. But to me it feels like she's sharing less. In the Choir Girl era, these quotes that we've come up have all, we talked about this, have all kind of been about the same thing. Whereas Pele, she was just laying it all out there. Anything was available to talk about. Her relationship, how she was crawling on her knees because that phone was not ringing, all of these things. But here, there's a a set of talking points and a set of ways she's going to talk about this album that feels like she's kind of, it doesn't feel like she's holding back but it feels like she's comfortable sharing this amount of things. The stuff on the edge is not so much. Do you remember when she was on TRL, I think it was, and they asked her who Skeeter was? And she's just like, I'll tell you later. Like, she didn't want to share that. Mm -hmm. You remember that? Yeah, I do. So things like that. I feel like she's a little bit more guarded here. And I see it in subtle ways. She's very open. So that sounds strange to say that. But I do see a little bit more, like, in the fact that she's only talking about these things and kind of saying it again and again. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I'm, yes and no, because my first memory, the first piece of real media as part of the press cycle for this album that I got was that Q magazine. And she late, like, the first paragraph, I think, of that article explicitly says, I had a miscarriage. And I don't think you can get more candid Mm -hmm. than talking about that situation and what inspired this. I think she could have absolutely put this album out as is and not shared that specific detail Mm -hmm. if she hadn't wanted to and found another way of talking about it even if it was just to say at the end of the last tour I thought I was going to start a family and that didn't happen 
for whatever reason, she didn't have to get as explicit as she did. So mm-hmm. I do feel like she was still sharing deeply, but pulling back in other ways. You're right. And maybe that's because of the fact that she was married at this point, And this was the first time she was putting out work as part of a married couple. Mm-hmm. And maybe they had discussions about things that were going to kept between them and like what the line was. Yeah. So I have to imagine that's a factor. That makes too. sense too. And then you're also beholden to someone like her last relationship. She didn't share that much about Eric, right? So this relationship, she, you know, maybe there are things within the marriage bed that should be kept private. Mark seems like a private person. Yeah, for sure. And when she does talk about what happened, she doesn't mention him at all mm-hmm. at this point mm-hmm. when she's sort of recounting those events. It's later, like 10 years later in Piece yeah. by Piece, yeah. where we get sort of a more intimate account of the story and his presence in it. But at this point, he's not there. Like we sort of obviously know what part he played in it and that he was there, but she's not mentioning him explicitly. So I think that's part of the way she was a steward of their relationship or whatever deal they had made of, in terms yeah. of how she was going to talk about things. So, yeah. Well, I mean, now that we have a map, I think we should just get to that Papal Bluebeard scooter stand. <laughs> Why waste any more time? That's fine. Where are we on this map? You are here. Look for the big X. I don't see anything. Here's the nautical nun casino. Oh my God. Turn around, Samwise Ganji. Oh my God! Jesus! Oh my God! Is that is that the Pope? What's he doing here? What's up? This is gotten very Catholic here at the end, from oh. the nautical nuns to the Pope. I don't understand Italian. Mm. Scooter. Scooter rental, please. This is Torridor. Speak Tori. Tori, speak, please. Scooter. A scooter. Don't do that thing where someone speaks Italian and you think you just need to be louder. <laughs> Maybe we should try speaking Italian. Maybe. A scooter. Since we're <laughs> okay, speak Tori, but with an Italian accent. We need one papal bluebeard scooter. We need to do a transcend to go where the choir girls are. I need to go. Is this the final stop before the choir girl hotel? I just got a little Romanian there. I can't oh. do ac- blah. It's like a blah. scooter. Ah, <laughs> two, two scooter. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh. We just threw the keys at our feet. We've embarrassed ourselves, as per usual, when we're in a foreign country. Wait, before we go, should we read what the premier has to say about this? (laughs) From the Atlantic Records promo bio. This one says, you must read this together. Well, let's do it. In unison? I guess so. Okay. I crossed the the river river Styx on on Pele. Pele, Amos says of an album that charted what she calls a change in my relationships with men for good. And the the new new album album is different, too. From Little Earthquakes, A Diary, and Under Under the Pink, kind of an impressionist painting, the the new album emerges as somehow a much more complete record than the singer has made before. Tori agrees. Each song to me is complete. They're not as interconnected. They're not dependent on each other to work. They get to hang out together, and you get to know them together, but they exist quite happily without Without each each other. Oh my God. Something's opening. Oh my God. I feel it. The final stop before the CGH. The Choir Girl Hotel. Get on. Get on the scooter. Don't forget the fire. I've got the bag. What, who am I, Tori? I'm not gonna forget it. It says, read this before you leave. Okay, but not together, right? No. (laughs) It's the credits. Okay. For Choir Girl Hotel. All right, here we go. Dispatches and Polaroids. 
1963 to 1998. All songs written by Tori Amos. Published by Sword and Stone. Recorded and mixed by Mark Hawley and Marcel Van Limbeek. Assisted by Rob Van Tuen of Martian Engineering, Cornwall, England. Oh, Van Tuen's Machinery Hospital. Mm. That makes sense. Project Director, John Witherspoon. The Sultans of Spoon. Oh. Produced by Tori Amos. Mastered by John Astley. Management, Arthur Spivak at Spivak Entertainment. Doctor of Pianos, Trevor Low Low Road. Chefs, Landscape Gardening, Yoga Sweetie, Brain Care Specialists, Tamsin Manville, and Darren Stats. Most Things Illegal Fairy, Top Geezer, Ian Stanley. Playmates from the Colonies, Ron Shapiro and Craig Coleman. Artwork, Michael Nash Associates. Cover image, Katarina Jeb. Inner photos, Katarina Jeb and Martina Hulin Ivano. Team, Karen Bins, Leslie Chilkis, Gimo Seleko, I'm ready. Read this quote. Hurry! Okay, from Billboard, 29th March, 1997. It feels like Earthquakes, Pink, and Paley were a trilogy, and now a door has closed. A certain style ended for me, but as long as I honor wherever the music is going, whether or not radio plays it, then I think my audience will still be there. That is the most important thing to me. I'll be there. Take me to the Choir Girl Hotel. We're going with her. Should we call ahead to see if our room is ready? Don't forget the spark. I've got it. It's hot. To the hotel. Late checkout. Mini Margarita. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.